This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. Comic Book Click is on Patreon, guys. For as little as $0.10 cents a day or $3 a month, not only can you help keep the lights on here at Comic Book Click headquarters, but your donation gives you access to exclusive content like CBC commentaries, polls where you can choose what content we cover next, and special behind-the-scenes footage of things here at Comic Book Click. Visit Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse today and become a Patreon. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. Hello everybody out there in comic book land. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. And if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason. It's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. And as always, I am never alone. Sir, can you please introduce yourself? I am Dan the Comic Book Man. Dan the Comic Book Man is here in studio breaking records. Uh, This has probably been like the fourth episode you've been on in a row. But it's good to know that you are around and you have to be around to Next cover. Next week when we cover the losers, will be my fourth, actually. Yes, so. yes. So we're, 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 we love to have you in studio. And you actually volunteered early on to cover this episode specifically. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here to talk about The Suicide Squad, the 2021 film directed by James Gunn, based on the characters of the same name. The 10th film in the DC cinematic universe or DC extended universe, as they like to call it. Um, And I guess just early on early thoughts without any spoilers, Dan, what did you think of this film? Oh, I love this film. I hold it near and dear to my heart. This is a perfect comic book film, perfect action comedy film. This is a perfect film. Did you have a lot of expectations going forward, going into this? Oh, I had so many expectations. Of course, it's James Gunn. I knew exactly what he would be, would have he would have been capable of. So if this movie would have failed in any way, I knew it wouldn't have been him. It would have been another studio. If, I would have known David Ayer was not wrong if this film would have failed. No, you're right, hundred percent. You know, um, James Gunn, who most probably remember for doing the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Obviously, he's an accomplished director. He's done other things, but I think uh, most people's familiarity with the director is from Guardians. And to be honest, a lot of people called the 2016 version of the Suicide Squad kind of Guardians light. So it made a lot of sense that DC would go ahead and nab James Gunn after that huge controversy that took place a couple of years ago on Twitter, where people dug up some old tweets and Disney promptly fired him saying that, you know, his views don't align, align with theirs. The next thing you know. Warner Brothers signs him up, gets him to do The Suicide Squad, and we all wait on bated breath to see if he can turn, you know, this franchise around. There were a lot of people polarized by 2016's Suicide Squad, so I think a lot of us waited with our arms crossed to see what this would be. And to kind of speak on what you were talking about, James Gunn is such a visionary director that if this film would have failed uh, critically, I think I also would have blamed the studio. It would have been the last straw for me because it's yeah. like, no, this would have been one hundred percent been that last straw, right? If you can't let James Gunn do James Gunn, then why even hire him? You know, um, this film had significantly less promotion as the others. I think a fifty million dollar cut in the budget from the two thousand and six version, and that could be for all kinds of reasons. But I primarily think it's because it's not a children's film. 
the Suicide Squad is rated R, which also shrinks its audience base. A lot of people have been talking about the film not doing so hot in theaters, but there's so many different uh, variables as to why. No, there's film... so many factors to go into yeah. it. And we, we already went over some of those in talking about Scarlett Johansson. You know, she's actively trying to sue uh, Disney over, you know, a breach in her contract, seemingly because Black Widow went into theaters and on Disney Plus the same day. And seemingly she's not seeing any money from the Disney Plus release. Suicide Squad did the same thing. Warner Brothers actually had came out and said all of their 2021 to some of their 2022 releases will be releasing the same day on HBO Max. So when this dropped this past weekend, people had a choice. Go to the movie theaters and spend, you know, upwards of 30, 40, 50 dollars, depending if you're going with other people, family, stuff like that. Or if you're going to get popcorn. Right. But if you already have the subscription service HBO Max, you could be, you were able to watch it for free in high definition from the comfort of your own home. So Which is what I did. Right. Then there are a, a subset of fans that aren't too familiar with the ins and outs of the comic book world and didn't really know how to dif- differentiate this film from the 2016 film. I feel like a lot of people saw the name Suicide Squad, remembered how they felt about the last one, and didn't gamble on this one for that same reason. Especially if they hated that last one. It's like, oh, no, what am I going to watch this one for? Right. And like I said, you know, as far as the promotion goes, the family members I went to go see this film with weren't even sure this film was coming out. And I am related to them, and all I do is you know, put my ear to the ground for everything comic books and comic book media. But it shows that the layman, the regular comic book fan may not have been tipped off to this film. And even if they were, they might have had bad memories from the last film. But with even all that being said, do you recommend people go out and see The Suicide Squad 2021? Not only do I recommend people go out and see this version of The Suicide Squad, I recommend people go out and completely forget that 2016 movie exists. This is its own movie. This is the this is the first in a long line of franchises. Think of it like that. This is not a sequel. This is not a remake or a reboot or, or a spinoff. This is its own world and its own universe. And I don't even think it falls in line with the DCEU. This is right. just like one of those little, you know, Elseworld one shots of yeah. that canon. Like this is totally non-canonical to me. Right. And the thing is, we've dealt with some of Marvel and Disney's um, mucking about in the studios. DC can't be the only ones, you know, getting the short strip when it comes to studio interference. Marvel, you know, got rid of um, Edgar Wright for Ant-Man. Disney got rid of, I want to say, Lord and Miller for uh, Solo. Yep. So there are mandates. There are studio mandates that go across the board. And even with all the quote unquote freedom we perceived James Gunn had on things like Guardians, he's actually come out and said that the Suicide Squad is the most fun um, film that he has made. And he attributed creatively just all around filmmaking wise, like he really got a chance to do everything he's always wanted to do in terms of filmmaking here. A hundred percent. And he said that he was able to prioritize creativity over perfectionism. Um, and see what happens when you do, but still know that, yo, I have a, I have to make a paycheck though. This yes. man knows he needs to make money. He's not, we're not, we're not going to be stupid as if the man isn't after money. Like we all are. Right. But here, but look what happens when you prioritize creativity over what the studio execs want. Right. 
And according to him, WB didn't really interfere with his vision and had only given a few minor notes. Because um, they wanted his vision originally in 2016. That's, it's it's that's true. <laughs> that's how I see it. You know, that's how I see it. Now they finally got the guy and it's time to unleash him and see, you know, what he has to offer. James I, Gunn changed his relationship status to single and, and the Warner Brothers just came with the flowers and roses and chocolates. Yeah. And they had to romance him. You know, this guy, he was already, well, you know, once the rumor had came out that he was fired by Disney, some of the stars of Guardians even refused to work on Guardians 3 until he was reinstated. And thank God he has been as of this. But for a while, he was persona non grata over there at Disney and Marvel. And for him to come to DC, I think, perked a lot of people's, uh, piqued a lot of people's attention, which, like I said, then we all sit there with our arms crossed to see what kind of film this would end up coming out to be. In my personal opinion, I really, really like this film. I think over time, I'll end up growing to love it, but I did not love it instantly. Um, I feel like we're I think in it's such one a- of those films you have to like marinate on. You have to watch it a few times and start remembering pieces and, and little like uh, frames that you don't remember or weren't paying fully attention to. I think it's also because, you know, uh, comic book click starts the same year as Suicide Squad comes out. Yes, so- it does. So um, at that year, I remember taking in a lot of the promotion, a lot of the music, a lot of everything that they were trying to push onto us as what that film was going to be. And then I saw that film and it left such a bad taste in my mouth. Not to mention the fact that I was less than impressed with Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman 1984. And I started to wonder if there was something wrong with me. You know, if I'm just not digging these films anymore. So, you know, even when watching this film, there was a little bit of that pessimist still in there, a little bit of that prag- pragmatist still there trying to pick things apart. But overall, I just had a blast, to be honest. I really had fun with these characters. I really had fun with this story. And James Gunn seemed to have fun. And like we talk about all the time, the cast seemed to have fun. Oh, God. As long- oh, my God. The, the chemistry, the, the bonding, there's the, the so much love and, and comedy, like, I always say it all the time. If I see a cast having fun, I don't care how stupid this movie is. I'm here for it. I'm here for a cast and filmmaker and crew and everyone having fun. Yes, we're going to make our money because we earned it. Earn the money you make. And these people earned every dime that they see, even if it's not, quote unquote, box office wrecking wrecking numbers. Yeah. They made 20 bucks off this movie. They earned that 20 bucks. Enjoy that 20 bucks. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. We were blessed to have an ensemble cast that includes Margot Robbie, Idris Alba, John Cena, Joe Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, Viola Davis, Jai Courtney, Peter Capaldi. We also got David Dasmalchen and uh, Daniela Melkor. I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's a bit. Of I a think French. it's Melquire. Melquire. Um, I Mel- uh, yeah. Our oh, beautiful like- rat catcher, too. I guess I should I should say the the most amazing of rat catchers. <laughs> and you know again, you know uh he is able to make household names out of characters you probably didn't know existed. You know, this man a lot made of a people. tree famous. Yes, and now you would argue that the statuses of characters like Polka Dot Man, King Shark, etc have definitely been raised. Oh, 100% Polka Dot Man got Polka Dot Man got redemption when no one asked to redeem him because there was nothing to redeem. Like, he's just Polka Dot Man. Yeah. But he became he became the show steal. I believe fully David Dusmalchen stole the show 
in every scene he was in. Yeah. Yeah. This film had to had to balance a lot of plates. It had to have a cohesive story. It had to be on the tightrope of funny, but also, you know, serious and action packed. It was an R rated film. So people expected a certain amount of adult subject matter. Uh, there was a lot of there was a lot to be said about the 2016 Suicide Squad when everyone found out that it was going to be PG-13. They felt it kind of got neutered in that sense. If Which dealing, it really did. Yeah. If you're dealing with a group of people whose heads explode when they are insubordinate, you kind of want to be able to show uh, the consequences of said, said thing. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot to deal with with James Gunn as a director coming into this project. A lot of plates, like I said, to spin a lot of characters to find a ways to give screen time to and memorable moments to. And one of the main things that was said in all of the production was, oh, sorry, all the promotional material was don't get attached. And I think that that is a awesome tagline for this series specifically, because one of the things I think that we all knew was that we were going to be shocked by some of the deaths in this, in this film. I think James so Gunn, went to, shocked. Gunn went to great lengths to mention that, you know, no one's safe. And yeah, so I would go ahead and recommend it. I don't love it. And all of a sudden we live in a world where if you don't absolutely love something, that means that you hate it. I disagree. I think that this is one of the best DCEU movies of all time, but maybe not on my favorite list of all time. But I'm not going to be I'm going to be honest with you. I do believe that more every time I watch it again, and I've already seen it three times. Every time I watch it again, I end up liking it more. Um, and I think I'm getting the taste out of my mouth with some of these other films that choose to play around with this, um, the DC continuity as it stands, it kind of is frustrating to see a whole universe that keeps to come, keeps compounding excitement like the Marvel cinematic universe where everyone gets to cross over and everyone gets to play. And then you come over to DC and it's like, Oh, well, we're not going to mention that. Well, we're not going to mention that character. Oh, well, we don't got the permission to. And it's like, what are you, what's going on over here? But as a standalone, I think he knocked it out of the park. Um, oh, he definitely did. He definitely. I think the problem is, is DC, just studios in general are not hiring legit, stylistic, creative, and capable directors. Right. And I will still never forgive Marvel for firing Edgar Wright. And you know, a lot, not a lot of people understand why. And it's like, well, if you truly watch his movies, and if you know what a director's style is supposed to be and supposed to look like. Ant-Man would have been one of the most high-octane, fast-paced superhero movies you would have gotten at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't want to gamble. These are multi-million dollar projects. I mean, they put, I want to say, upwards of $150 million into this. Uh, yeah, $185 million into this film. You know, and as of right now, it's only grossed 72 million. But again, we have already talked about how much HBO Max has bit into a chunk of that profit. Um, so we'll see. I, I think it's going to be one of those films that word of mouth is going to end up uh, making it generate a lot more money moving forward. If not in movie sales, I think in DVD sales, you know, I think this movie will do well over time. It just sucks. Oh, this movie will be gorgeous on 4K because I'm watching it on 4K on my phone and it is gorgeous. And even though we tend to forget, there is a dangerous, life-threatening virus going on there is. Out, out right now. So besides the comfort of your own home, some people don't even want to go to a theater filled with sneezing and coughing people. So Random strangers that you don't know if they're vaccinated, if they wear their mask. 
yeah, so I don't I don't blame them on that. But with that being said, let's get into the full spoiler filled review of The Suicide Squad. I'll be going ahead and doing a full recap of the film uh, and we'll be stopping at points to talk about, you know, the interestingness of this whole story and James Gunn direction in all of it. Ready? Let's do it. So we open to the soothing melodies of Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison and we meet Michael Rooker as Savant a criminal in Belle Reve who has just been picked to be a part of Amanda Waller's Task Force X. You know, Michael Rooker, longtime collaborator with James Gunn. It was good to see him. Every film. He's been in every James Gunn film. Really? Every single one? Every, Super, Belco Experiment, Slither, both Guardians. That's interesting. Now, now this one. Right. He's and... also died in every James <laughs> Gunn movie. That's also very interesting. Well, not Guardians 1. Well, not Guardians 1. Yeah, asterisk. Uh, but yeah, we, we meet Savant. You know, he's just this guy who seemingly, I guess, has impeccable aim. He uses a bird, uh, ball to kill a canary that is in his little facility there. But yeah, the beginning of Folsom Prison is the beginning of the James Gunn aesthetic, right? Of using. Well, you also, you know why he killed the, the canary. The canary is symbolism of freedom. Ah. The canary symbolizes freedom. Well, that canary's dead. Uh, how'd you like the use of diegetic music in this? Oh man, James Gunn will forever understand music to me. Since since finding out how he wrote Guardians 2, he will forever be the person that just truly understands music more than anybody. That be, from the song choices to the titles of the songs to the lyrics he decides to put in the scene itself. Mm -hmm. And and to start this movie off with Falsam Prison Blues. And then this crane shot from an angling of a puddle. Like it's a I'm thinking that the vision is just distorted. But yeah. that's how you're supposed to to it's supposed to be. You're, the movie's supposed to start with a distorted vision because nothing is as it seems. You need right. to turn everything on its head to get the right picture. Right. And this the, this whole opening is seemingly following Savant on his first day on the Suicide Squad, which is kind of cool because. We're, we're, we are kind of acting like we used the Etch-A-Sketch and shook it up and kind of erased the last film. So it is this film's duty to not only introduce the Suicide Squad, but the whole concept around it. And we kind of get all of that really quickly because Savant meets Colonel Rick Flagg. He gets the bomb implanted in his neck. If you look, the guy who's actually imp implanting the bomb in his neck is John Ostrander, who is the creator of the Suicide Squad. He's the one that says, good boy. When uh, he gets that bomb put in his neck. So oh, that's what he says. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. It's kind of messed up. <laughs> um, we talked already about last week about the, you know, implications of being harsh to criminals and whether or not they are meant for redemption. And we see here that Amanda Waller just sees these people as bags of meat that she can throw at her targets uh, to accomplish their goals. They are the comic book expendables. A hundred percent. But we meet Colonel Rick Flagg, a much more relaxed Joe Kinnaman, a much more um, relatable Joe Kinnaman. I think he's, he's under awesome better direction. That's why. Oh, he's amazing in this film. Yeah, One of the takeaways was him. He's so aggressive in that first film. He's mad at everybody. He's mad at everything. He's over everything. But this one seems fully entrenched in the weirdness that is his world, the weirdness that is DC, the weirdness that is the Suicide Squad. Um the notable absence of June Moon. So maybe my man is single. Maybe all that girl trouble is what got him down in, the, in that first movie. 
You that's know, what, all, that's really what it is. We've all been there, you know, and it's it's not great. But he gets to meet the rest of his team: Mongal, Javelin, Captain Boomerang, Blackguard, TDK, and Weasel, and the recently emancipated Harley Quinn, who's actually back in jail after driving her car into a bank. So we There's get a bit of a road rage. Yeah, just a little bit. But we get our team. You know, we have uh, Flugaborg, we have um, Jai Courtney, Pete Davidson, Nathan Fillion, Sean Gunn. Margot Robbie's back. It was good to see Amanda Waller back. Um, but Steve as, McGee. But as far I as the people, they, they they brought him in. But as far as the people that we already knew previously, what do you think about this iteration of Rick Flag, Amanda Waller, and Harley Quinn? Oh, don't forget my man Boomzy. Oh, and Boomerang. Boomerang too. Boomer. I loved all of Amanda Waller. Misses no beats. But if there was one thing that was her biggest takeaway in this that wasn't in the 2016 one was that she was very much reminding me of the Justice League cartoon Amanda Waller. Ah. The purple suit, big yeah. giant stature, like the short afro hair. Like everything she was doing was just cold and calculated. The second she threatened this dude with his daughter, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that is that is so the original Amanda Waller from the cartoon that I remember. Yeah. Um, Everybody else about Harley? was great. They were all under, they were all under better direction. Had a much better costuming. Harley with the black and no, Harley with the black and red leather uh, oh, getup coming out of like the Injustice game yeah. was just great. Yeah, she I had, spoke like, last week. Braids instead of pink tails. Right, I spoke last week about how much I dug the 2016's Suicide Squad. This one feel I like the look for Mar- uh, Margot Robbie slash Harley Quinn, but I really feel like um, this one really works better in a way there's a there's a maturity to this we've talked off air sometimes about the uh how sometimes they try to make these comic book characters overly sexualized sometimes almost infantile in in its portrayal but i really like the red and black back with harley it really harkens back to like injustice and stuff like that yeah i wasn't down for the hot topic blue and pink not not a fan not a fan of the blue and pink hot topics. Uh, not, not a fan of the four inch uh, uh, boy shorts or whatever <laughs> she was rocking. Oh, yeah, the, the, and the and the fishnets or the 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 choker that said pudding. It's definitely the look. Says daddy's little devil or whatever. But this takes place after Birds of Prey. So Harley Quinn is broken up with the Joker and she has, you know, kind of made that known because if you look at some of the tattoos that she's had previously, she's covered them up or changed them to kind of explain express that the fact that she i'm kind of glad property of no one i'm kind of glad that this takes place after birds of prey because then it really if there's one thing that i took away from birds of prey and there wasn't much to take away from that was the fact that she was much more able to make friends and be genuine with her friends yes so i'm not so i mean i'm a fan of that because in this movie you get to buy more that oh she definitely knows how to make friends easier now right Right. And before she all she wanted to do was kind of tear the team apart. She didn't want to be even be there. All she was doing was looking for Joker. But in this, even on the plane, she's she's talking to everybody. She's kind of chatting with everybody in this all of team one. You get that awesome scene of uh, where she's kind of um, not congratulating, but what are you complimenting Javelin on his accent? And then you have that conversation about TDK and what is what does it stand for, which was something that we had all been wondering. Well, who the hell is Nathan Fillion playing? We saw him in the trailers. Some people thought it could have been arm fall off boy. And it turns out TDK does stand for the detachable kid. 
Which was but, basically arm fall off boy. Yes. Uh, but they have that conversation about how, uh, you know, his name oh, is one of the best TDK. jokes of the movie. Go ahead. Where he goes, you know, your name is letters. Captain Boomerang goes, all names are letters. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. That was brilliant. I like that Boomer in this. Boomer in this feels feels more gritty. Feels more uh, dirty. Even his accent's a bit harsher. His beard's a bit harsher. Um, but oh, I like- you're you're an Australian aficionado. <laughs> uh, is there is is there a, a like a Cockney equivalency for Australians? I do believe that there are certain regions of Australia that may be a bit, you know rougher thicker with the accent and the the word the slang terms they use yeah you know and they they're real big sports fans so you know sometimes sports fans can get a bit rowdy and that that's a a stereotype in itself there but um i really like that he remembered harley quinn hey what what you're doing here like you know that friends everyone one of my friends one of my favorite little moments from that beginning part on the helicopter was when um boomerang was telling was calling everybody meat hooks yes like you're a bunch of hooks and meats on hooks and Harlequin's like, oh, stop it. Leave him alone. Like, as if they've already done it before. So they're just like, oh, this is just a walk in the park for us. You guys are screwed. Which also makes you think about the many, many missions we probably haven't seen. That Boomerang yeah. has seen some of the other rookies get m- mowed down. Especially if, they're, if Suicide Squad is now a degrading term and they're going by Task Force X. Like, how many times have they done this now yeah. where they decide to call themselves Task Force X? I also like that, you know, they have that whole conversation about Weasel and he's like, he's harmless. Well, he's not harmless. He's eating a bunch of children, but um, 23 kids, I think it was. But he's agreed to this. And it's like, did he like sign something like how like, we <laughs> what, think so? Like, what well, communication? What communication did you have with that werewolf? Quote unquote. <laughs> I like that moment, too. I've been looking for a werewolf forever. I liked all that. But it, it's crazy because Savant, like I said, he's the person on the outside looking in, it's his first day. And he's just looking around at all these crazy people. He's not impressed at all. And we look back at the headquarters for the uh, task force X. And we see that the employees are doing a Deadpool. They're actually betting on who's going to bite legit the bullet. Doing a Deadpool. I love it. Which, you know, it, it's a bit insensitive in real world, but we kind of did the same thing last week, trying to guess who was going to die first. I guess you get, if working in a place like that, you have to, thank God a- we did do a Deadpool last week between me and you. Yeah. But you have to have some sort of distance, right? If you work in a place like that between yourself and the criminals. Where you literally know that you're sending the worst of the worst out to die, but they have to save the world. Yeah. So when they do die, you can't have attachments. Or do you believe like, that oh, these well, people that are cruel? How do you feel about that? 27 kids. What? I said, or do you believe that these people are being cruel in this moment? When you see them doing this Deadpool, is it something that you see as something that they have started to kind of get used to the idea that these people are expendable? Or... Are they just cruel? Are they just cruel people who turned by? I think they were just having fun because their job is miserable enough as it is where they're literally doing like intercom work or whatever that comms work for uh, criminals. Like, imagine these are people that have literally killed women, children, right? Men, they have robbed. They have they they, at given the moment they will kill you just for fun, just because I want to have a laugh. These are insane people. Who, who dress up in blue and all. Like, what kind of criminal is Javelin? What I don't is, even what? know. Yeah, how did he get like, arrested? What, <laughs> what was he like, up what to? What did he do to get arrested? Like, like, he doesn't seem like the criminal type, but he's in Bell Reve, Louisiana, so. Yeah. He yeah, did the, something bad. Yep, put him in the hole and throw away the hole. But um, it's crazy because 
you know, even with the, all the Deadpool stuff going on, the squad ends up landing in South America and instantly everything goes south. So first, as they land south in the, for the Americans, yep. Or first, as they land in the ocean near the coast, Weasel just seemingly drowns. Like everyone lands, Weasel starts to like scream in panic and then just go underwater and drown. And, you know, it's axed back at Task Force X. Did anyone check whether or not Weasel could swim? And seemingly no one did. No one did. So this this just further displays the fact that while there are a lot of smart minds behind this Task Force X in the background, they are just throwing you know, something at the wall to see what sticks. I don't even know what Weasel's, like, task would have been on this team. You know, like, moving forward, like, if they would have gotten there, if he would have gotten to the coast okay, I still think he would have just been used for cannon fodder. So, I guess drowning would have been better. But Savant ends up fight, uh, saving him. And that's when we find out that Pete Davidson's Blackguard is a traitor. He sold out the team to that army that is on the coast of South America and he's promptly shot in, his, in the face as a reward. And the rest of the team are ambushed by this army. We see all the heat signatures moving in. There's way too many people that have way too much firepower, but that doesn't stop them from trying to take the army out. And it ends up being a hell of a first day for Savant because he watches teammate after teammate die in a grisly fashion. Like these death scenes. Who seemingly that have done this before him. Like, yeah, and he's like, supposed to be the new guy. Boomerang is one of the people that was kind of giving him crap, and we see Boomerang get skewered and taken out by a flaming helicopter, like a pin cushion. My man had had pine trees in his body, his face, so everywhere. He's, he's the one kind of blowing off all of this, and and look what ends up happening to him. He gets blown off by life, and yeah, that flaming he chopper gets blown off by life. That flaming chopper took him out. It took out Mongal. Javelin ends up getting used as target practice and we see TDK use his powers where he detaches his arms and kind of just like does a three stooges take uh, uh, routine with the little army slapping little um, slap, little pinch, which was hilarious because I heard another uh, podcaster theorize that the reason why he couldn't do anything useful is because his arms are not attached to his body. And that's where majority of the power comes. Like when you go yep. to punch it or comes throw from somebody. hips to shoulders. So without shoulders, without hips. Yeah. It's just arms there. He can't get the leverage that he needs to make impactful uh, motions with well, his arms. What kills me about the design was when his arms pop off, you see little bones protruding as if it's like a, an action figure with a little plastic piece. Yeah. So you can pop it back in like a toy. A hundred percent. And he gets shot in the arms and they it seemingly hurts him. Like, you know, so or like he's, he's legit on the floor convulsing, choking on blood. It's ridiculous. Screaming. So Savant sees all of this and he's absolutely terrified. So he just abandons the mission. He's I'm over all this. And he tries to swim away, but he's ordered not to by Amanda Waller. When he resists, his neck bomb is detonated and it kills him instantly. Um, the mission seems like a failure until we learn that this is not the main Task Force X team. And Amanda Waller has actually sent another team out there led by Idris's, Idris Alba's Which I've come to realize with, uh, on like my fourth rewatch with her dialogue, she she sent that team one out as a legit diversion. Yeah, that was all the reason team they one were was supposed out there. To die. They were literally all supposed to die. So she chose Rick Flagg, Harley Quinn, all of them to die. We never ended up seeing... Um, you know, what her briefing was to 
team one, you know, but perceiving the same exact thing, but they, she put them on two different parts of the Island and the team that she knew would probably do it the best was the one that she sent on an area where the, where the army wasn't. Yeah. I mean, how yep. could a black, how could Blackguard have alerted the cult of Maltese army without being, without Amanda Waller planting an inmate to give him some type of cell phone for him to do like, that woman is too much of a genius. This was all planned from jump. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. You know, it, it, it like the the mind of Amanda Waller has always been one to be reckoned with in DC's continuity in everything that you see. And I think her ruthlessness is something that actually comes into question in here. Something that even her subordinates start to kind of raise an eyebrow about, but like. Do all the ends justify the means? For Amanda, it has to. That's her job. But for everybody else, the lives that she plays with, almost like uh, he who remains, right? Like yes. the lives that she plays with in the in the middle, the lives that are in the balance of her choices, seemingly are expendable. They they can just come and go. They're just bodies are bodies, and it's it's crazy how she can just make those choices. But yeah, she had already had a prime Suicide Squad group out there, which included King Shark. Ratcatcher 2, Peacemaker, and Polka Dot Man. Uh, and then we get the title card um, with some pretty uh, groovy music as we scan across the battlefield and go over and, each one of the members. And the died. best part about it is that song is called People Who Have Died. Ah, That song's literally called The People Who Have Died. Yeah, it The was, People Who Died. It yeah. was really crazy to see like the pictures of each person and then watch their mangled corpse, whether they be on fire, whether they have a gun wound to the face whether their head's been exploded because of a neck bomb all of that stuff was really really gory and kind of the first instance i think even when pete davidson gets shot of like oh this is not your run-of-the-mill his entire face just went away yeah it's a whole chunk of it seemingly just gone um and yeah we also this is the suicide squad this is our team and we even go back three days earlier where we see world-class marksman Robert Dubois, a.k.a. Bloodsport, as he's approached by Amanda Waller to join Task Force X. Seemingly, a lot of these guys are for their skills, and a lot of them seemingly deny. And they have the freedom to deny. That's one of the other things that I've seen. But when Amanda Waller truly wants you, she'll get you. And he ends up having a visit from his daughter, who just so happened to visit that day, (laughs) and tells him that she stole a watch, and not only a watch, but a computer watch. Right, a TV watch. A TV it does watch. other things. It does other things. They get into a screaming match. They start cursing each other out about it because Dubois, instead of telling her like, "Oh my God, why'd you do that?" She was like, "Oh, you sh- you should have taken a lookout." And she gets really upset because she's like, "Oh, you didn't care about my well being. All you cared about was whether or not I was going to get arrested or caught." And they start cursing each other out. And I mean, that would be the well being. Yeah. Yeah, but you can black she, girl in 2021 stealing in Louisiana. They they would there is no trial. Like, yeah, but you would think you would stop the action at the stealing, not perfect the stealing. True, true, right. True. If you care that much about her well being, you stop her from stealing, not make her steal better. So, um, yeah, they get into a shouting match. She says that she is absolutely ashamed of him as her father, and then he has like kind of a vulnerable moment where he tells her that all the good that's been in his life has been wrung out of him by his father, and um, he has nothing good to offer her. And whether or not 
that's just some cold thing that you say, like how Jules Winfield said in, in Pulp Fiction. I believe it to be true, or at least I believe that Robert believes that it's true. I believe that Robert believes that he can do no good for his daughter. But as a child, you that what do you do when your parents or one of your parents just surrenders and says, well, I can't do nothing for you? I think you, know? you just I think you just accept it. And that's just the way life is. is sometimes even the people that are, you know, so seemingly supposed to take care of you often tap out. Yeah. And it's not like it, it, it's not cool. But she says that even though she might be doing jail time, Amanda Waller says she can help. Just hearing that makes Dubois confront Amanda Waller, run up to her and basically threaten her, her, her life <laughs> at one point with a pen. Um, and Amanda, being the genius that she is, reminds him that Belle Reeve is incredibly dangerous and that if she is arrested because of her age, she might actually end up in Belle Reeve. And Dubois, that's all he needs to hear. And he agrees to help her. So Waller shows him his team determined to make him a blue and true leader. First, we meet John Cena's Christopher Smith, a.k.a. Peacemaker, who is also as skilled as Dubois when it comes to using weapons. It's funny because I don't know if you remember, but there was a lot of uh, hubbub of being, you know, going around about John Cena and whether or not he was going to play U.S. agent a couple of years ago. Um, He had posted, I want to say on Instagram, a picture of U.S. agent. And he basically is a kind of a version of U.S. agent, right? He is this no questions asked soldier uh incredibly dangerous marksman and incredibly dangerous with anything and he doesn't have any qualms about the ends justifying the means one of the jokes is that he says that he loves peace so much it doesn't matter how many men women or children he has to kill to obtain that peace what do you think he has to eat a whole beach full of dicks that too what do you think of john cena as peacemaker in this Oh, man, John Cena is just underrated comedic genius. This man's, like, just standoffish, deadpan delivery of the most ridiculous lines. Like, like, like it takes a true genius to say no problemo with a straight face. No problemo? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Or just and walk up with tidy whities on and just say, that's racist. What did he order like, at the bar? how are you bar? not cracking up? I don't remember. Like, he's just mentioned some drink at the bar that he ordered them, and I've never even heard it in my life. Uh, Parenta or something some, like that. Some weird thing like that. Like, he is just, he's corny in the funniest ways. He's I, probably what I would have been fearing they would have done to Cap, you know? Like, he just yeah. doesn't get it. He's kind of like a dad, like, stuck in dad mode all the time. He says um, things like millennials. Yeah, yeah. But I think um he did great here. He did amazing. Yeah, and he's been known to do I mean, I know he did like blockers and stuff, but he's been known to do more uh child stuff, more children oriented stuff. This is a bit No, I crass. think the, there's a lot of comedians have come either from children's stuff to do adult humor or they've come from adult humor and boiled down to child humor and sometimes they could be mutually exclusive i'm 28 years old i still laugh at a fart yeah whether in a movie or in real life thank god there's no fart jokes in this there's no fart jokes in this and there's no piss no fart jokes just a lot of semen jokes in a sense yeah there's mother jokes too but i mean that's a whole other story about to get into that uh next up we have nanawe the king shark played by both steve agee and Sylvester Stallone. I love that Steve Agee did the motion capture. We see him trying to read a book, but it's upside down. So he seems to not be too bright, but he's definitely I a monster. 
He's definitely a monster to behold. Uh, next, we have Cleo Cazzo, a.k.a. the Rat Catcher, the daughter of the OG Rat Catcher, who was introduced along her pet rat, Sebastian. Um, and finally, we meet Abner Krill, Polka Dot Man, played by David Dalsmalchin, who is kind of laughed Man off. of the hour. He's laughed off for being a weirdo, and he has a power dampener on. So when they bring all these people together, what are you thinking, Dan? I'm I'm 100% I knew this was going to be the team that we followed because if you look at the the trailer which I I ended up recently rewatching the both trailers the uh, this morning and they're really the ones that get promoted the most. Yeah. Like you get the you get you get two scenes of everybody doing that hero shot with the American flag behind them and then you get the conversation in the airplane and the helicopter. But other than that, most of the movie is Cleo Chasm, you know, Abner, whatever. Yeah, and the thing Don is, Cena. uh, like I guess we kind of hopped over this, but like it was honestly the death of Boomerang that showed me that anybody can die in this, right? Yep. Because he was yeah, an OG 100%. squatter, if you will, and I thought that he would have had, I don't know, like preference, uh, priority, but no, I James Gunn is trying to make a point here. And this is a he, whole new team. He's a whole new director. And even like he went even deeper into the barrel for these these characters. A lot of people didn't know these characters going in. And even crazier is that he also considered using characters like Sportsmaster, Dog Welder, Batmite, Livewire, Punch and Julie, Black Spider, Deathstroke. There's actually some concept art with Deathstroke leading this team that we just recently released. Uh, Man Bat, Plastique, Chemo, KG Beast, Solomon Grundy, Rainbow Creature, Gunhawk, Knockout, Killer Frost, Mr. Freeze. And eventually he actually wanted to use Black Manta from Aquaman. Yaya Abdul-Mateen's the second uh, Black Manta. But um, he ended up realizing that the characters that he used uh, worked better. I I would argue it too, because I do think that um, Will Smith and the Joker, not even Jared Leto, but the Joker were so high profile that they kind of overshadowed the rest of that film. Suicide yeah. Squad from 2016. And, and for a lot of the actors that were on that ensemble cast, they were all unknowns. Margot Robbie only had Wolf of Wall Street. Jai Courtney had here small roles here and there in Terminator Salvation, which no one really liked. Yeah. You know, who, who is Joel Kinnerman? He's <laughs> a good actor. But um, oh, now he's an ama- now he's an amazing actor. This movie sold me. I will watch anything he does as long as it's in this I don't want to typecast in this him, vein. In this die. vein, yeah, in the in the same it, sort it, of. It's hard because I I know that if I watch like a like a, a serious drama, sad romance with Joel Kinnaman, he'll probably kill it. He'll probably kill it. But yeah, I but- just want to. I want this man in a in a world that's so ridiculous that he has to constantly comment on it. This uh, movie made me realize that there was a difference between being the straight man and being a wet blanket. In the yes. first film, I feel like he was a wet blanket. Everything that happened, he was, uh, he was, yeah, he was, he was getting tricked by everyone. He was upset with everyone. Uh, He was getting led around like a dog. um, And he was, he hated everything and everyone. They were all criminal scum, all that stuff. In this, he's the straight man. He does realize that the world he's in is absolutely ridiculous. But what else is he going to do? Is he going to sit there and complain about it all day? There's a mission to do. Yeah, he, exactly. And it's even when, when, um, what's it called? When the whole TDK thing happens. And Harley's yeah. like, what the fuck? He's like, I don't know. I didn't pick the team. <laughs> this know, like, is just, yeah, right. It's just a mission, girl. I don't, I don't do that. Where I felt like if it was a 2016 one, you know, he would have done a whole exposition like he did for Katana. Yeah. 
Yeah. If Katana would have just walked onto that um, helicopter and and exposited her own powers, and someone would have said, "What the hell?" and he goes, "I don't know. I didn't pick it." That way funnier, right? I, you just you just said that, and I just played that scene in my head, and it's way funnier. <laughs> like like if Katana walks on, like I am Katana, my sword traps the lives of anybody that I cut with it, and so and Harley goes, "What?" I don't know. I didn't pick the team. Harley would say something like, "Is that true?" And then Rick Flag would be like, "I don't know. She just uh, she was just on the bait on the list." Yeah, like, I don't know. Waller gave me a list. I'm supposed to debrief. Like you know, like something like that would have been way better. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't even know why Katana was put put on that team anyway. Like she she's not even like, in yeah. jail. She just had his back. Yeah, she does have his back. <laughs> <laughs> that's her. That's her whole thing. Which she didn't really even have in the movie. Right. He nope. says she's got my back, and then that's it. We never really see her getting his back. I think she got jealous of June Moon. I think that's what it was. That that that's a, that has to be it. So with the team complete, Amanda Waller debriefs them about their mission. They are to head to Corto Maltese, a small island nation off the coast of South America, who just went through a brutal military coup led by General Luna. I love how vague that they go with it. And how it's like, yeah, we, this isn't a real place. You're just going to go to some random made up island in South America. Very vague with it. If I'm not mistaken, Cordo Maltese is a place that uh, Malcolm Merlin used to like go to to like vacation in Arrow. <laughs> I want to say Thea well, spent some that, time in Corto Maltese as well. Wait a minute. Now that I'm thinking about it, wasn't that the the Amanda Waller, James Gordon story in Love is a Battlefield, didn't she send Suicide oh, Squad I mean, to court? I wouldn't be surprised. That's funny as hell. But yeah, I wouldn't be she surprised. She sent them to like <laughs> Maltese and like he and James Gordon sends. Oh, no, it was uh, Perry. It was Perry. Perry yeah. White in the Amanda Waller love story. He sends a what's it called? Lois Lane. She sends the Suicide Squad. There's a coup going on. So, yeah, this might have been very much I in think, the vein yeah, of that. Yeah, I think that might have been that. Yeah. Um, the new regime murdered the old one now the new regime is um led by general luna and they seem to be a threat to the u.s according to waller cultural maltese might be holding on to alien technology in a place called the jotunheim hoping to use it as a means to threaten the world with a weapon of mass destruction their weapon is i mean sorry their mission is to secretly enter cultural maltese find the thinker a geneticist in charge of project starfish and force him to let them destroy any traces of whatever it is uh and then we go back to present time where team two has reached the coast of Cordo maltese having their arrival hidden by team one's distraction and that distraction being their utter death so <laughs> that that there's that there's a, a cool little moment with um rat catcher where she's just randomly asking why amanda waller has a uh overhead projector Yep. It's like why uh do you 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 don't use it? So why is it in the room? <laughs> like just just it's like just throw it away. Just just silliness across the board. And we also first get the uh we first notice the contusions on Polka Dot's man's face. Talk a bit about that. How do you think about that special effect? Oh man, well that that was just straight up like body horror. That's like some David Cronenberg's the fly stuff. Like it starts off real like you know, like small little colorful welts. And yeah. the guy's just like, oh, it's a rash. But by the time, you know, Idris Elba's character wakes up, he, his face is completely just taken over to where he looks like Rocky Dennis that got stung by a, a, a family of wasps. Yeah. If, if Elephant Man got stung by hornets, that's what it would look like. Like, it was bad. And I, 
I mean, I'm I'm a noob at all this. I truly wonder how they achieved this effect because it looks like his skin, and it looks like there's something underneath glowing. And well, oh, that's like about it, eight hours of makeup, and it's it's ridiculous. It's um, all prosthetics, all 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 little rubber. Like they probably make the rubber welts, and then they just put it on with the skin glue to take it off or whatever the makeup glue. But right, it it's still that's definitely hours of makeup for just a four second scene just to see how his welts a lot of what i feel like constitutes polka dot man in this film has to do with james love's ability for horror and not only just like physical horror with stuff like slither but psychological horror or psychological um uncomfortableness like with slither there's a lot of weird things in slither i mean not slither uh super there's a lot of weird mental you know there's nothing scarier than the human mind, in my opinion, and what it can do to a person, um, especially if it's not an in tip top shape. And I think he's really using both physical and mental horrors to make Polka Dot Man a standout character in this film. 100%. So back with Team One, Harley seems to be one of the only ones still alive, and she shares Javelin's last moments with him. He gives her the Javelin, but doesn't finish why he actually did. And she's properly arrested by the Corto Maltese army. She isn't the only one who survived though, because we then see Rick flag is captured by a group of freedom fighters. Team two bunkers down for the night, but Dubois wakes up when he hears somebody groaning. And when we look, we see polka dot man's face is entirely covered with these brightly colored welts that engulf his whole face. Like his brow is gone. It's just, you can barely see his eyes. He's just become this lump of colored lumps. And then he walks away and seemingly throws up a bunch of polka dots and comes back back to normal and acts like nothing happened. So knowing that somebody like that is on your team can't be easy, you know, like <laughs> to keep your eye off of them because you don't even know what the hell's going on at that point. And if, and if that ain't easy, try trying to get a little bit of more sleep before doing a deadly mission only to wake up to one of your teammates trying to eat another teammate. Yeah, because that's exactly what happens. Sebastian the Rat actually, you know, who has... Ratcatcher's back more than Katana had Rick Flag's back actually wakes up Dubois. And when Dubois wakes up, Nanawe has Ratcatcher in his mouth. He's about to chomp down on her. And the cool thing about Bloodsport is that he's covered in this technology where he's able to pull random weapons off of his suit. So he just creates this concussive weapon and just starts gunning down. King Shark, I was wondering if he was going to die. Like, like this was going to be the moment where we realized that having a man-eating shark on the team wasn't really a smart idea. But he just knocks him back. Um, and uh, Ratcatcher shows her abilities because she uses her wand to attract and send hundreds of rats towards King Shark in a threatening manner. But things end up calming down, and Ratcatcher gets Nanawe to admit that not only does he not have friends, but if he did have friends, he wouldn't eat them. So she gets them to, he gets him to agree that they are all friends now. Thus, they are not to be eaten. When she is kind of called out for her naive views, she says, if I die because I gambled on love, it would be a worthy death. What do you think of that line, Dan? That's one of the best written lines in any just movie. Like, I'm a sucker for love. I like to act like I'm hard and mean, but I'm a sucker for love, whether it's platonic or romantic. So just a line like that, if I died gambling on love, I would know it's a worthy death. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. She definitely 
romanticize this thing. She's the heart and soul of the team. I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that in a bad way, but she has a bit of a Amelie quality to her. Am I wrong? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, no, one hundred percent. And she got the and she has the little foreign accent, the the bonnet haircut. So you know, uh, there's a little bit of that to her. But yeah, man, she stands on her own um, beliefs. She believes in always gambling on love, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least she did what she wanted to do, and I, I, I'm going to start using that. I'm I need to start living my life that way. And she's truly, she's truly the heart and soul of the team. To yeah. Where you can't even accurately say who was that in the last movie, right? She goes out of her way to ingratiate herself with each member of the team. She kind of it's, is and, playful, and it's the opposite of how Harley went out of her way to annoy each and every member of the team. Yeah, watching her like play around with Nanawe, joke around with him and stuff was really cool. Um, she's always kind of getting on the blood sport skin because she thinks that he's a better man than he thinks that he is. Um, she and isn't that beautiful where she's not being confrontational for the sake of being confrontational she's being confrontational for the sake of i know there's better in you i'm going to annoy the bettering out of you yeah she annoyed the better man out of him and then abner who is constantly you know going through physical and mental turmoil she sympathizes with him she talks to him she, she brings him into the group she doesn't push him out um and then even peacemaker you know she's known to she peacemaker eventually gets a drink for one of her mice or her rat. And she does know? a little punch on the arm and it just shows the chemistry that like these people are, are, are really true people. They are people being people that are forgetting about their past, letting judgment go aside. And they're just being people. Yep. And they're yep, bonding. Yep, yep. They're showing chemistry. They're showing real camaraderie, something you don't get in the original Suicide Squad. And something they pro- even try to make a point. It, like, I would understand if they tried to do it and it failed, but they didn't even try to make them a, a, a team in that last movie. They were a team in that last movie. Dan, you don't remember when they were all standing together and they walked together? Or when they, you know, they, they shared that bar scene where they insulted each other. There's a, they're, they're, if it's a group shot, they're a team. That's, that's the comic book rules, I think. <laughs> but uh, speaking of teams, Walter ends up calling the team. And lets them know that the mission has changed. And now they are to rescue Rick Flagg. Now that they know Rick Flagg is out in the wind. But when they go, you know, she tells them, I'm going to send you the location to Rick Flagg. That's your new priority. Get Colonel Rick Flagg out of this area and kill all of his captors with no impunity. Anyone you see, kill. So they trek to the location Waller gives them and lay waste to everyone they see. Um, it starts off with King Shark Bro, eating a man whole. It was straight Game of Thrones meets GTA. Like they were just <laughs> everyone brutally dead. Yeah, King Shark eats a man whole. Dubois and Peacemaker eventually have a kill off, trying to impress one another, um, which was hilarious. At one point, oh, what, what what really cracked me up was when a, a Peacemaker shoots somebody behind his back without looking. I'm like, all right, that's already dope. Yeah, and, and and Bloodsport goes non-lethal. I win. And me origin when I when that line originally hit, I got warm and fuzzy in ways that 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 most kids' cartoons could do for a person. Like the reason why it's because they were having a, a a contest, and it seemed so genuine. It didn't seem written. It didn't seem yeah. forced. It seemed like they were literally doing it. Because they, it, there was like a respect there. It was but two also, men confident in their than... skills. There was two men confident in their skills. 
and you know willing to show the other one that they were better um and the, like if, the, like if rick flag and and deadshot would have done that in the last movie i would have laughed it all the way to the end credits there's no way that someone like rick flag and deadshot are right now doing a little competition on faceless whatever they were but I here did, just felt so natural i think the best part about it is that they their in bickering didn't ruin anything for the team no you know, and like, even good no, I was just saying that, you know, in a, in, a, in a lesser movie, they would have constantly been battling over who was the alpha and, you know, trying to uh, show each other up. This is just an instance right here where they are very proficient at killing and just trying to show one another. Um, he, Peacemaker also has some pretty dead, deadly weaponry. You know, he has a humongous um, handgun and then he has a like a hatchet and then he has like his Peacemaker symbol is like a batarang where all the corners are sharp and he uses that to stab the guy who's laying down and stuff. And to even to, to piggyback off of the, the, these aren't like, they aren't bickering to see who's the alpha of the entire team. Their very first instance together where they are a team in their full costume. Peacemaker says, you're the leader. You're supposed to be decisive. Like Peacemaker yeah. isn't here. Like I'm the real leader because I do what you do better. Peacemaker knows in his head, I do what you do better, but you're still my leader. I still have to respect you as my authority. I'm your subordinate. And it's, it's so, it's amazing. It's very in character for him to stay in line, you know? And it's then very the, the best part about line. it is when, when he goes, like when uh, Bloodsport says, you know, no one likes to show off. And John Cena says, well, they do when what you're showing off is dope as fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that delivery, that delivery. He turns around like, fuck, that's true. Yeah. Damn it. That's real. That's that's like a friend thing. That's that is something that two friends would do. It's like, yeah, no one likes to show off unless it's cool. Damn it. You're right. They, like, felt, they felt like real people in that moment. Exactly. They felt like real psychopathic killer people <laughs> with the majority of freedom fighters dead. The team breaches flags location and see that he's kind of made friends with their leader. Uh, meaning none of those deaths needed to happen because they're on the same side, which was a hilarious moment. One of the funniest moments of the film for me, because it's, it's, a, it's my kind of comedy to watch one scene relish in it, like be like, wow, that was so cool. And then realize that they were all seemingly innocent people. <laughs> it's like, wow. And it's made even more funny in a physical comedy sense, because it cuts to then this leader. So Soria standing around all the carnage all her dead men and flag doing like the worst my bad about the whole thing so yeah none of this had to happen i'm sorry he's like my i'm sorry she's like they killed everyone he's like yeah my bad like this wasn't what we we're trying to do and stuff and uh my rick flag moment is also here when he when she sees that sebastian is waving at her and so great and she's like is, is that rat waving at me he goes uh yes ma'am i think it is and then she literally like in the most honest um what did you call it uh confused way right like she her vocal patterns are very honest about like but why even her, even her <laughs> eye movement where she's just like squinting and turning her head to the side like wait what like why why would he be waving at me and he's like oh i don't know man probably because he's friendly <laughs> just like flag has fully embraced the weirdness of this world you and know? not only has he embraced the weirdness of the world he's embraced the weirdness of this world with his still militarized delivery. Yeah. He still speaks in the yes format in the affirmative. He still speaks in the affirmative, but he's delivering the most bad shit insane lines. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Rick Flag in 2016 
wouldn't be able to piggyback off of Harley being crazy where he's like, well, actually, you know what? Um, Do not cough without covering your mouth. Like, you know, like yeah. Rick Flagg couldn't have done that in the original. But in he this would- one, you totally buy him piggybacking off of Harley's insanity yeah. in such a lighthearted way. Yeah, he's used to her by now. You know, we need that familiarity with the, with these characters. Sometimes these movies act like they start when we see them. And this movie was a lot of movies movie. act like they start when we see them, but they also jump you straight into an already established world. You're supposed should, to know that these be. characters knew each other for 10 years. And yeah, it should be, you know, when you do it right. Um, yeah. So, he so probably- some, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it could be jarring where you're throwing something into you're throwing us into this world in the first five seconds, but we have no idea what's going on. You know, that's where exposition could be useful. And that's how I love how this movie started. We're jumped straight into the action where you it's already established that the Suicide Squad is the world famous. You know, Savant says it. So this is the world famous Suicide Squad. Yep. Oh, so they're already they already have credibility. And when, and you, when he gets on the team so quick, when he gets on the team, he already has two people who are grandfathered in from the other film. So, yeah, it does feel like something that's uh, been around. So he apologizes to the leader, like I said, and he agrees. They agree to help the team get into Corte Maltese because once they do, they'll be able to cause a big enough distraction to overthrow Luna's government. And speaking of Luna, the thinker Peter Cabaldi is ordered to meet with the general to discuss Project Starfish. Apparently, years ago, Americans found an alien starfish in space and brought it aboard, hoping to take it to Earth to study it. Typical American shit. You know, the starfish had the ability to create miniature extensions of itself that can latch onto hosts and create a hive mind with the original. It feeds on the host's consciousness and grows larger and more powerful. So James Gunn said the inclusion of Starro in this film is because he saw Starro as a kid and was absolutely terrified. Uh, I think that this found footage stuff really makes a good point to show how scary it can be. What did you think? I love the whole found footage aspect because it's once once again, James Gunn was originally a horror filmmaker, whether he was a horror screenplay, right? Or horror director, his his directorial debut was Slither. You know, he wrote the script for Scooby-Doo, which is basically a kid's horror and Dawn of the Dead, which is an actual horror. You know, so like he's he's had his hands in the horror world and they really made it a point to show this like an alien type David Fincher work. Yep. So yep. I really I really love the fact that it was the Coral Maltese government talking about Starro and looking at this like found footage documentary. And then it turns into this giant facility lab. Yeah, where it's basically face huggers. He basically took the design of face huggers. I well, I mean, star. I got it. We. I don't know if you have a free hand. If you can go ahead and check when those two things come out, because I think Starro might predate that. Starro does pre. Starro definitely predates it because um the original Alien was like 1979. Okay. And this is 1960. Right. Uh, Brave and the Bold issue 28 by Gardner Fox and Mike uh, Sekowski. But but definitely um. You know, there's definitely an invasion of the body snatchers vibe. There's definitely, oh, 100%. you know, all the oh, his, weird... his, his species is called Star Conqueror. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so I, and here I'm thinking, you know, like, you know, Thinker just gives him the name Star of the Conqueror to be an asshole. His name could be. I mean, Philip in, in universe, Ninth. it was. 
in universe it was, but because because there's no way for, to find out what their actual species is. Well, you but, know, in in universe, Peter Capaldi was just being a real you know douche. Like I'm telling you, this man's pro- this guy's probably name was like you know Philip the Humble. Well, the best and they part call him about Carl it, the Conqueror. I'm I think hands down, Peter Capaldi is the absolute ace in nailing exposition. Oh, he's the best villain of the movie, to be honest with you. In this movie, he was the best villain. He played it the best. I can't really look at Amanda Waller as a villain. She just villainous acts to get what she wants. And really, if you look at it in a form of perspective, the government itself is villainous. But she is still not a criminal having to manage a ragtag team of criminals. So, yeah. who, But it also shows the perspective of who's the real criminal the bad guys trying to save the day or the good guys trying to be the bad guys and forget about the day right and you know he has this scene here where he actually explains to the general but thus to us what starro is and later on you know he explains what america's involvement is and he delivers all those lines at mock speed but with clarity and with emotion you know this guy is yelling so much like the, the bravado of the I call him Starro, the Conqueror. Like he yeah. was amazing at that. He crap. seems he seems to get joy at the idea of na- naivety, like the idea that other people would not think that this is possible. The idea that they would steal an alien, torture people. Like every time someone is surprised by that, he seems to smile. Like, what did you think? What do you think humans are? You know. Um, and so we have we already have somebody like him and Waller who see the worst in humanity and then Ratcatcher who sees the best. It's a bit of a um, a juxtaposition. But Thinker is invested. He's been studying this beast for 30 years. He shows the general who instantly sees the monster as a means to be taken seriously by the world. And like I said, again, they have their own now weapon of mass destruction if anyone goes against Cordo Maltese. Um, and speaking of the general, he's informed that they have found and captured Harley Quinn. And she's taken from a hole from where she's kept and she's brought to a stretch limo. And then she's given an extravagant dress to wear. She gets her makeup and her hair done. She's brought before Luna, whose charm instantly catches her off guard. And then after some whining and dining, Miss Quinzel is is proposed to by the general. He says that she's the face of anti-American fervor and being married to her will curry him favor with his followers. What do you think about this whole scene? Uh, this was, this was the first true, I guess, expressionist mark out moment. Like there was a lot of smiles, a lot of laughs, a lot of, um, inner feelings of like my body would go warm and it's like, damn it. This is why I know I love James Gunn because of what he does. But this was the first moment that I could not contain my joy inside anymore. And I had to jump up and down because damn it, this man just loves music the way I love music. And hearing "Whistle for a Choir" by the Fratellis, yeah. like I, I was, I literally would would stand the album Costello music in high school, and to just hear it like 15 years later in, in a Suicide Squad movie in a Harley Quinn scene by a by a, a director as capable as James Gunn, it it, just, it it's one of those enjoy the little thing moments in life that you that just make everything better. Yeah. This whole scene was just better. Everything about this scene was just amazing. I, I, it, it's done so brightly. It's almost in contrast to everything else we've seen at this point. The music is so cheerful. Um, it feels almost not real. And we've oh no, trained- they completely switched the palette, the lighting, the cinematography was the same. But like, 
this this movie went from like a muted, washed up, grayish palette to straight, uh, you know, maroons and gold and embers. And it's like, whoa, where where is this accentuated green flowers coming from? Like, yeah, yeah. And the, the beautiful birds, all of it all feels like a dream. And then we kind of settle down as Luna, you know, proposes to her and stuff and says that he falls in love, that he's in love with her and they make love or they, I guess they bone, I guess would be an easier way to say it. They do uh, the, they, they do the Homelander and uh, Stormfront. They do the horizontal monster mash. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, you know, they have fun doing it. But afterwards, Luna monologues about Jotunheim being a former Nazi scientist hiding spot and how the previous regime would send hundreds of his detractors to die at the hands of the beast and the experiments that were within. So then he starts to kind of gloat that now that he has this beast, all of his detractors should fear him because if anyone disobeys him, their families and even their children would be fed by the beast. And literally the word beast comes out and he is shot by Harley Quinn. Well, it's, it's also beautiful. I, when I rewatched it last night, did you happen to notice? But you see her in the reflection of the window checking the gun. <laughs> Later on, she's surprised that it has even has to put it on it because it looks like a ceremonial something. Like she like you see her bend, pick up the gun and she's like doing this motion where she's like looking at it and then she shoots and then right. spouts off the best monologue James Gunn has ever written for a woman. Yeah, she, you know, uh, killing kids for her is kind of a red flag. And she says she's been looking to avoid those since her and Joker broke up. She apologizes to Luna and his penis, uh, but agrees that he's best dead where his poison. I just thoughts. love it the way she says it, where she's like, and I know what you're thinking, you know, why not just go? Away? Oh, I got I got you. I got you. Um, but yeah, he, he's like, you're better off dead where your thoughts can't hurt other people, which is a deep was deep as hell. But I, I had spoken in great lengths about this before. This speech in here is not only incredibly important for the Harley Quinn character, it's incredibly important for anyone going through a toxic relationship. And I think if they had a little bit more foresight, she would have had this revelation in Birds of Prey. They should have had the foresight. This would have been the actual emotional emancipation. Yes, she got away from Joker physically, but we needed to know that in her mind, she didn't want to be back with him and not, not I mean, want to be back with him. It was called the fantabulous emancipation or whatever. Like She got broken up with. That's I mean, Yeah, she got dumped and then went through the typical cliche girls eating ice cream that, that people like to portray. But um, yes, we never seen her choose to not want to be with someone like Joker. But she gives this, this uh, monologue where she says, I'm sorry recently and the thing she apologized to. <laughs> yeah we should probably talk about that too she apologized uh i'm sorry recently i made him uh i made a promise to myself that the next time i got a boyfriend i'd be on the lookout for red flags and if i saw any i would do the healthy thing and i would murder him and killing kids kind of a red flag i know i know i know what you're trying to say harley why not just leave now all this part imagine she's talking to somebody about the joker yeah why not just leave and I'd say, why are you screaming at me? I'm not deaf. I'm standing I'm right, right here. here. <laughs> and then I'd say, when your taste in men is as bad as mine, they don't just go away quietly. They slash your tires and they kill your dog. Kill your dog. And they, they tell you that, that the music that you music. like isn't real music at all. And all the cruelty tears you apart after a while. Um, and yeah, like that, that's a 
toxic relationship right there. And so I'm glad that she got all of that out of her system and we heard it from her. Like now we can say that she has come full circle. As she is fully emancipated and it took James Gunn and his wonderful creative brain to do it. Yep. So suddenly the room is full with the quarter of Maltese army who see Har- uh, Harley has killed Luna and Luna's second in command takes over for him. He kills Luna's birds in like a, I guess, show of strength. And decrees that Harley couldn't have come alone, ordering his men to find him the heads of the rest of the Suicide Squad. Speaking of which, Polka Dot Man is growing those big colorful tumors again, and the team demands an explanation. He tells his story about how he has, he now has an interdimensional virus inside of him after his scientist mother, who worked at Star Labs, experimented on him and his siblings, hoping that they would become superheroes. If he doesn't expel the polka dots two times a day, they will engulf him and eat him alive. He tells them that some of his siblings lived and some of them died, but now he can't help but see his mom everywhere all the time. So sick because, you know, uh, it that's a real thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's like some some crazy people legit go through that problem where it's like everybody they see has their mother's eyes, their mother's nose, you know, or like. Let's say it's the father, the father's hair, the father's ears. Like, you can't ever escape. And it, it's so crazy because, you know, humans have the same facial features. Of course, you're, I'm going to have the same facial features as your mother. We both have eyes and nose and ears. Like, but exactly. It's just the way the brain just plays it. It's so crazy. The brain is a powerful tool, it's also a scary tool. Right. And it's, it's always incredibly traumatizing when you are hurt by the person you believe is your protector is your is the person that's supposed to be giving you love and support um and you know abner is obviously dealing with some major mental issues as a result of not only these weird experiment experiments which in itself is a narrative to the crazy fanatic mania that superheroes have brought we know that the original suicide squad was literally created the second superman showed up on the scene so that was one of the, uh, I guess, latent effects of having superheroes around. But now we see other ones. People are actively experimenting on children to re- produce the same effect. And now Abner sees his mom everywhere. And as we find, we're going to find out, we're going to end up seeing her in places that we didn't think uh, that she would be. What a crazy backstory for that character. What a crazy idea for what his origin would be. And also what a crazy layer to add on top of it where he doesn't like to kill people, but if he can imagine them as his mother, it makes it that much easier. I Talk mean, about damage. Then you then, then use the, the powers for good, Abner. You know, use it for kill, kill Solomon Grundy because it looks like your mother, you know? Like, I think he's in jail for killing his mother. Isn't that the whole thing? Probably. You know, so like, yeah, he, he used it for the good that he wanted to use it for. Well, I mean, good is also a per- matter of personal perspective, as well as for the overall, I guess, collective good. There's collective good and selective good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we then meet Milton, man of the hour, uh, the man with the van who works with the rebels and will help the squad pass through the city. He is stopped at a checkpoint, but the squad murders all of the surrounding security and it is decided that they will go into a bar or a gentleman's club that the th- the thinker frequents in disguise and nab him there. Sadly, there's no disguise elaborate enough for King Shark. So he has to stay no, in the car. I don't know. I think they could have passed off with the mustache. 
maybe not a finger mustache. Maybe he would have got one of those uh, glasses with the eyebrows and the nose and the mustache. You know what he needed? He needed the, he needed the the trench coat and fedora hat from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Or 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 the or the thing, thing in uh Fantastic Four. That's his get up too. Yeah, yeah. trench coat the thing. and a hat, and that's it. It seems to you work. You just gotta get a else. brown trench coat and brown fedora, and you or golden marble. Bro, James Gunn missed the perfect opportunity to make a Marvel joke where he he could have just had King Shark in the baseball cap and sunglasses. Yeah, it just been a, a box of, of sunglasses and baseball caps for the team. Uh, <laughs> on the ride over, it turns out that the Corto Maltese government has communication dampeners, so they won't have Amanda Waters' aid in the field. She reminds But it'll still be able to access those detonators for some convenient reason. Yep. So she tells them, hey, just because I can't hear you doesn't mean I can't kill you. So stay on mission or else you'll all be killed. And by the way, Dubois, your daughter will go to Belle Reve. Uh, So, you know, she's her ever cheery self. As they sit somberly in the van, Ratcatcher asks his blood sport why he's afraid of rats. And he accuses her of having daddy issues. She She has no issues with how much she loves her father. Yeah, she fires back with that exact line, explaining that she has had a troubled life um, because while she grew up, her dad was addicted to drugs. Their constant poverty caused him to befriend and train rats, the lowliest of creatures, um, something that he ended up passing on to her before he died of an overdose. This confession causes Dubois to divulge, divulge the fact that his dad used to torture him with rats as punishment. You know, there's a lot of things in my life I never wanted to see, but one of them is definitely Takia Watiti shooting up heroin and dying of an overdose. I like that. That 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 is that's more heartbreaking for me for the actor of uh, the actor filmmaker than it is of the character of Ratcatcher One. Hey, the guy does some bleak stuff, man. I don't know if you finished Jojo Rabbit, but that's not nearly you know that's not hard. I, I, honestly, I really can't. I'm, I want. I'm trying, but it's hard to sit through a movie and watching Watiti be. <laughs> Uh, uh, imaginary friend Hitler. It gets it gets real rough real fast. The, the uh, last thing I remember was a convert was the the argument that that Scarlett Johansson and her son had in, over dinner. Yeah, finish it when you get a chance. I think the people will I will. Hear your I'll thoughts. have to. But Bloodsport and Ratcatcher two make vows to each other to make sure that each other gets out of here alive. Um, even it's though there's such a beautiful moment that 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 was earned so earned yeah god damn everything in this it's pissing me off because everything in this movie that the first one tried to do or did and failed was because they didn't earn it and this one earned every moment you don't get these moments without getting previous moments you don't you, you don't get you know um dubois and uh rat catcher one having these somber moments without getting this little breadcrumbs of you remind me of my daughter and you're a little idiot and you know there's good in you or the rat sense is good. And you're like, there's so much dialogue that built up to that. I'm going to get you out of here alive. No, I'm going to get you out of here alive. That it feels human. Yeah. She, he obviously felt a bit of remorse for her story. And um, everyone you know, did. If you really look at that scene, even Peacemaker was putting his head down and like, yeah. damn, that's kind of when she, cause it's so crazy how she was bringing up. My father had um, issues or vices or whatever. She said that everyone put in their head, oh, he was a drug addict. Right. It's like you could just tell by context she's talking about drugs. Right. And um, it's like it's so crazy to even see Peacemaker put his head down in like remorse and guilt of like, you know, I have my problems, but damn. Yeah, there's a world in which she doesn't give that information and Bloodsport doesn't tell his story about his father, you know, but seeing as we're all coming clean. And that's all directed by David Ayer. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> or by Warner Brothers Studios because they took that man's movie and it's. Yeah, I gotta stop to being mean to David Ayer. I'm just gonna say Warner Brothers Ayer. They arrive at the club and decide to have some drinks and dance before the thinker is set to arrive. It's one of my favorite scenes of the film because I think that this is almost like the mission statement of the film because uh, we have we have everything from Peacemaker doing his best white boy dancing. Um, We have Dubois and Flag sharing war stories. Like I said, in a worse film, those two would have been arguing as well. Like, oh, you son of a bitch, you left me in Korea with one leg. And well, you know, you should have used less bullets or something else like that. There's none of that. Everyone here is on the same playing field, because if not, if every if one person fails in their mission in this mission, everybody's dead. They seemingly are all on borrowed time. And they even say that when they take their shots together. And it's John Cena who had the hardest time relating to everybody who buys everybody around the drinks and also buys around for uh, the rats. You even get David uh, David Delsmalchen who has to go through this whole torture of seeing his mother and he's the quiet, crazy one. Even he admits, I am the crazy one, or he is relishing at the fact of that we're going to die he gets to dance and flip his hair and have that smile. He's choking on, on tequila and Rick Flagg is patting him on the back saying, oh, no more for this guy. Or, you yeah, know, they're, like, they're friends. At least right funny. now, they're friends. And they all seem to look like people who are not used to having friends. They are all having the best time in their lives. And it kind of reminds me of my time in the military because when I was in the military, I, was, I stood side by side with people from all walks of life, race, creeds, and religions backgrounds traumas and we you really get to learn a lot about your teammates when you are in a position where it's life or death and after a while it doesn't even really matter your differences because you guys are together on the same mission and your mission is to make sure that everyone comes home safe and i saw that in these people i saw a moment where it all melted away all the labels that have ever been put on them by society all the things they thought about themselves as to why they don't deserve a level of happiness you know harley goes to great lengths in 2016 about how ugly they are on the inside and how they don't deserve a happy ending but in this one moment in this one scene where they're dancing together it feels like they are all worthy of a better life and it made me smile every time i watch the scene it gets better um as they cut around he's also the only one that is not in that scene yes yeah but she has to find her own because she she didn't have to learn this lesson she learned this lesson in birds of prey yeah she got to have her friendship moment and you know that whole i'm not gonna lie yeah it's the ending of the movie so anybody that's like mean like me would say oh it's the best scene because it's the ending of the movie it's right before the credits no i still think that diner scene at the end was the all-around best structured scene of that film the way all of these women got to just joke with each other right right um, so I think that that is super cool as well. Suddenly the thinker arrives, but so does the Maltese army looking for the Americans. Bloodsport has Cleo and Abner take the thinker out back while he flag and peacemaker get arrested as a distraction while in custody and en route to their destination flag finds out that Harley is alive flag Dubois and peacemaker all do the death touch, killing their guards with a single blow. And in the ensuing madness, their vehicle veers over a cliff. A uh, nice, cool little moment. I would watch a show with these three. Their camaraderie. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of mad the way it, the movie itself ended for some of these characters because I really would watch a, not, just, not just a Peacemaker on its own, but a Task Force X movie that starred Joel Kinnerman, John Cena, and Idris Elba. And like a revolving like, cast of like dying 
C-list characters? It would it would be so cool. Yes, give us give us the most ridiculous characters in DC's lore, and just yeah. kill them off because you know they're ridiculous characters. No one's gonna have any emotional tie. Who has emotional ties to you know Mad Hatter? We're no looking at you, Rainbow Raider. We know we know you're Rainbow Rainbow we Raider. We know you're hiding back there, bro. You're gonna be in the next film. Don't even worry about Listen, it. Listen, that's still one of the best episodes I ever seen. <laughs> they escape the crash and meet the other half of the team with a new goal. Save Harley Quinn. One of the things we haven't been talking about is how James Gunn has used the atmosphere to kind of. Oh, these my title God. Cards. I can't even believe that I totally forgot to between the title cards and the placement cards. Everything was just amazing. He had he had Warner Brothers pictures written in Savant's blood. He had now written in the leaves while it blows in the wind. He had three days earlier written in freaking toilet scrub. He yeah. had. He had Operation Jotunheim and Operation Harley written in smoke from the from the the plane crash because they finally got to where they had to get to. Like, yeah, to my- me, he's having a blast. It feels like somebody who is so confident in their skills to make a regular movie that he just started to freestyle. You know, like you, you learn how to ride a bike and then you learn how to do a wheelie. And I think this guy has learned enough about bikes that he's doing a wheelie on a head uh, handstand and. With a fidget spinner. In oh, the other he's hand. doing an Indy 360 off of like a rusty turnpike. Like this man <laughs> is just like I. I'm not lying when I say this is his best movie all around. Best shot, best acted in, best directing, best best landscape, the creativity, the cast of characters. There isn't a movie that is better than this. This is his best movie, and for him to say it, for him to say that this was the most fun he's had. Knowing the relationship he's made in Guardians, mm-hmm. knowing that, the, knowing all of that, and him still saying, "No, no, 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 this is the best time I ever had in my twenty plus years of being a filmmaker." Yeah, no wonder this was the best time you ever had. It's your best movie. It also feels like, like I said, you feel the freedom in it. You feel, you feel like I, I think some of this stuff is a bit questionable, you know. But I like it all in the stew. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, no, of course. I wouldn't think I wouldn't suggest every director try some of these things. You know, it works very well in this film. And this film, again, had to not only differentiate itself from the very similar Suicide Squad from 2016, but it had to be as far away from Guardians as it could. Right. And so he's, he's doing a lot to di- do that differentiating. And I think it kind of worked in this. It does. But it's also it's it, it's kind of hard to not not use not compare, but it's kind of hard not to see a lot of what he did on Guardians, he took away and used here. There's also a similar bar scene in Guardians where Drax and Rocket get completely drunk and talk about their problems. And Rocket has a moment of vulnerability and everybody on the team looks at him and they sympathize with Rocket in his moment of vulnerability. There, there's still a, like, you know, a character that's not exactly of that world that has to comment on all of the craziness of that world in Peter Quill. Yeah, you know he 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 is no stranger to using CGI and motion capture monster type characters with Drax and Groot and even Rocket. Like, like there's still the love there. There's still the reluctant relationship of friends coming together and becoming this family. Like, like there's still a lot of Guardians one that's in this movie be- because James Gunn took away from what made it work. And when yeah. something works, something works at the end of the day. Yeah, you just have to change the other things around it so it's not a carbon copy. 
Yeah. And speaking of which, in a scene that will never be in a Guardians film, but now that I think about it, it's a scene very similar to Yandu's breakout scene. Uh, we're back with Miss Quinn as she's being oh, interrogated. Yes, 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 yes. By the general and shocked for her insubordination. When it looks like she passes out, the general leaves and Harley takes a moment to kill her captor and escape. I found out that that thing she did with the key in her foot and putting it in the keyhole, that was actually Margot Robbie. Who did no, I was gonna tell. I was gonna bring that up today. It's like, yo, she really did that. Yeah, she, she really did. put the key in there and turned it with her foot. Like, holy yeah. crap! Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, she's able to escape. And what follows is a masterpiece scene of Harley gunning down several of the general's men before using the javelin that she was given earlier to turn them into shish kebabs. Uh, Dan, you are much more of a film aficionado than me. Talk to me about the cinematography here, the flowers, the homage to Boondock Saints. Why does all this craziness work in a film like this? All of, all of this craziness works for one, in, in, in the grand scope of stylized filmmaking, there is so many side-scrolling pan. There's panning shots. There's, there's over-the-shoulder shots. There's just straight-up mid-frame where you see Harley from chest up. So you get all of her expressions and everything in the background around her. They, this movie's already rated R. We've already had our fair share of, of uh, throwing the bird and F-bombs. So it's not like they needed to make the blood something else to pass the MPA rating. They did those flowers turning into blood for specific stylish choices and hardly seeing the flowers. It's almost as if her seeing that stuff helps her do it better. Right. Like she can't truly do it unless she sees it all being, you know, inconsequential in the end. Right. And um, it, the song in the background is I Ain't Got Nobody, which is a song that she was singing to herself at the time, uh, which is going to pay off after this, all this happens because she seemingly does have nobody. All her team and is dead. And it's so beautiful because it's uh, like uh, it, it turns back to James Gunn understanding music. And like the, the lyrics literally go, I ain't got nobody to care for me. So why should I care and stuff like that? And it's like, and, but then the next scene is literally reveals she's being rescued by a team that she doesn't even know exists except for Rick Flagg, who she thinks is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one, I think this is better than the, uh, you know, breaking Cassandra Kane out in. Oh, in the Birds jail with the confetti thing. gun. Yeah. That and now the, looks- and the sniffing Coke. That now looks incredibly tame in compared to this. Like that now looks like like uh, training wheels. In it's compared meaningless. To this. It's like meaningless in the Harley lore. This but, man did Harley. Ju- he did Harley justice in ways air the Warner Brothers studio and Kathy N could never and will never. Nobody will ever do Harley Quinn true justice the way James Gunn did in this movie. Yeah, I really everything like this about it of her. perfect. I, the rumor has it she wants to step away from the character for a while because she's been playing her for a lot in the last five years. Um, but I really like this version of her. I like how she is doing things on her own again. Like we just saw her take out all these people without impunity, using those guns, that that camera angle above her where she's spinning around with the with the guns, shooting people is amazing. And then watching her run and kick that door, then using the, the javelin and gunning people down and all the flowers coming behind her when she screams and you get that wave of flowers behind her she seems like a badass one of the best moments is a very small one where she after unlocking herself puts on some combat boots 
Yep. So she's yep, a, so she's this she's this very stylish woman, but she knows she got some work to do, so she puts on some combat she's boots. She's in a red dress, combat boots, wielding two M4s and a javelin. Like you know what this Harley reminded me of the entire the entirety of the movie. She reminded me of the Kaylee Cloco Harley Quinn from the uh, DC from animated. Show. Show. Yeah, I I love that show as well. That's who she reminded me of. She reminded me of the DC original Harley Quinn show. I actually wouldn't be surprised if they took some things from that. It would be very I think interesting. They, I think they took a lot of the emancipating empowerment behind Harley Quinn from that. But that she was had, a very much empowered Harley Quinn. She is incredibly skilled in this film, though. Uh, you know, and I, I like that. She should be someone who stands on her she own. She should be an acrobat because isn't that the original, you know, cartoon character designed from the 90s? Isn't she supposed to be like the most skilled, like acrobat? Yeah, she's like a gymnast and stuff growing up. Uh, so... Harley goes to jump in a cab with the javelin, but sees Rick Flagg and recognizes him. She surprises the team, having saved herself. So the next stop is Jotunheim. But they have that exchange that we saw in the trailer that we were talking about with not having anybody. She's about to go into a cab and go God knows where because she thinks that everyone is dead. She was not aware that there was a team one. And she's assuming that Rick Flagg is dead on her to, on her team too. So when she sees Flagg, she's legitimately broken up. And when Flagg tells her why they're there, they're there to save her. She her voice cracks and she's like, you guys were here to save me. And he's like, yeah, we had a good plan and everything. <laughs> and she's like, well, you I can go back inside and you guys can no, save and me. That's 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 a testament to also Joel Kinnerman just unloading with the talent in this movie. That there's delivery comedic, was just amazing. Yeah. Like there's great yeah, comedic time. You know, it was with a that. really good plan. Yeah, it was a good plan and everything. It was really it was and really, then the uh, hug, the hug felt so real. Her introducing herself to Bloodsport, but Bloodsport having the hand extended before she was able to because she had the javelin in yeah. both hands. She had to like switch hands with the javelin. So he already had his hand extended because he knew she was going to extend her hand. So it's a respect matter. It's like, yeah, when they're getting ready for this thing, Peacemaker is the only one that seemingly has an issue with them stopping for this. And this could probably be because he has his own mission from Amanda Waller. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you know, we're going to risk the entire mission for a mental defective dressed as a court jester. Yeah. And Idris Elba's like, listen, man, you got a toilet on your head. Like, yeah, don't chill. even <laughs> No one's judging out here. We're not, we're not <laughs> yeah. the judging tree. That's not what it's about. Uh, so right before they get to Jotunheim, they have the thinker and they threaten him and make him get inside. Of the, sorry, they threaten him. And their goal is to get inside the facility and pass the guards. They plan to use the thinker for the retina scanner so they can get inside. And once inside, they're going to use explosions to destroy the entire building and everything inside. But only after Flag and Ratcatcher can find out what the hell Project Starfish is. So using his help, they do manage to get past some of the guards in the on the outside. And all of a sudden it begins to pour. We hear the pixies hey in the background. We get this cool shot of our heroes, I guess you would Which call is, them. Oh, no, it, uh, you're right. It's actually a it is a genuine hero shot because it juxtaposes the original quote unquote hero shot we got in the beginning of the film. Which, one, which one could argue is a perfect hero shot, right? American flag I, in the background, I, composition. Like that's that's what a normal uh, studio would want in a studio, in a shot, in a hero shot. And then what does James Gunn give us? James Gunn gives us an entire white foreground background with rain mist that's also white. So it's just this entirety of a flash background. Yep. And then you have your characters walking into frame. So yep. uh, so amazingly, just walking into frame, you see Harley Quinn eating an apple. Everybody's just looking at each other like, OK, I guess this is what we're about to do now. Like, 
and everyone's here. No one's reluctant. No one's like, I don't want to do this. Everyone is ready to do this. Everyone is ready to, to, to have each other's backs. Yeah. Yeah. And like, they, and it's, it. but they're still not perfect. They're still rained on. They're still um, hidden in the weird fog that the rain has. But created, it's also kind know? of funny because it kind of tells you that the suicide squad is about to come and rain on Jotunheim's parade. And that's it. And that parade has been going on long enough. 30 right? years. Breaking into Jotunheim, they disable the main door and split up. Most of the squad rigs the facility with explosives as Flag and Ratcatcher 2 enter the underground laboratory with the Thinker. It is there that they discover Project Starfish to be Starro the Conqueror, a giant alien that controls its victims through smaller versions of itself. All around them are victims of Project Starfish. There's a whole holding cell with hundreds of people with starfishes attached to their face. We see people that are dismembered, disemboweled in the background. We even see somebody who they seemingly try to remove the starro from their face. So they have a starro indentation in their skull. None of this is shied away from. None of it is, you know, they cut away from. What do you think about this, the pure horror that was um, this revelation in the scene? Oh, man. When they showed that one person with, like, just the crater formation of, like, the star on the face, but there was no mouth, nose, eyes. It was just a whole – it was, like, a, a completely – it was a skull. It, there was nothing there. Yeah. But it had like that indent of the star. I'm like, man, James Gunn knows body horror. He knows how to get the people turning in their seat. And this is like another instance of that whole caving of, of the face. That might be what he's good at. This whole <laughs> caving in of the front of the face. Oh, no, it's it's so funny because he also has an amazing caving of the skull scene in the Belko experiment where David Dusmalchin cracks Michael Rooker in the head with a freaking monkey wrench. Yeah. And he, like, concaves his entire frontal lobe. So, of course, being a romantic, Ratcatcher's like, we need to save these people. And the thinker's like, there's corpses underneath those stars. Like, those people are long dead. The only thing keeping them alive is this alien on, the, on, on their face. And everyone's kind of freaked out. Flag's kind of freaked out by what's going on. He's like, how could the Cordo Maltese do, do this? How could America not try to stop them? And the thinker's like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, Starro was brought to Earth by the Americans. And the American government has been secretly funding the experiments here on Cultural Maltese for decades because you guys, or America, is too uh, goody two-shoes to have it done on their own soil. They want to use Starro as a weapon, but not want to have it done on their soil in case they get caught. So they had an agreement with the old government that they would do the experiments here. And now that there's a new government that's wanting to use Starro against America, Amanda Waller has seemingly sent you here to do that and destroy all of this so that you are taking out any kind of accountability that America had in any of this. Uh, Thinker says this with, uh, with the same kind of anger that he who remains had when he was like, grow up, Sylvie. Like, he's like, you, you think yeah. the world is so black and white and so perfect. What did you think you were working for? Who do you, me and Amanda Wall are basically the same person. Like, the ends justify the means to us. So she sent you on a mission over here. What makes you think that she told you the whole truth? You know? And it's something that kind of breaks Rick Flag. Um, He decides that he's going to take one of the hard drives out and give it to the press because he's tired of being put on these missions and not getting the full information from Amanda No, Wall. yeah. It, it, and when it comes down to Rick Flag's perspective, it's like, for us, the audience moviegoers, this is the second time Amanda Waller has screwed him over about... The, the skyscraper that he is infiltrating is not exactly the skyscraper he thought it was because the first one, they thought that they were getting like a scientist 
or whatever, and they were just saving Amanda Waller. Yeah. He's over it. He's over the lies. He's over this the deceit. Um, so yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna out them. He's taking the hard drive and he's gonna give it to the press. But then Peacemaker shows up. Five knuckle shuffle. And Flag's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, uh, I'm sorry, but I was put on a separate task to make sure that all of this is destroyed to make sure that Amanda Waller or the U.S. don't get caught having any kind of involvement in this whole thing. So he demands Flag hand over the drive and we're put in a position now because even though they're all on Amanda Waller's mission, Peacemaker's on his own. And that may that mission may go through Flag, and he expresses that he thinks Rick Flag is a hero, but to him the ends always justify the means, so long as the end is peace. And he believes that if this gets leaked out, other countries would get mad at America for doing this, and it would cause war. So to make sure that nothing happens, he is willing to kill Rick Flag, a man he's been on a mission with for the past couple of days. And this was very much a Watchmen style standoff. I'm glad you said that because it was, yeah. This is very much a Rorschach wanting to tell the people that Ozymandias was the one that did all of this. And but it's all about- even Dr. Manhattan's like, nah, man, we can't. And and when and at the end of this whole fight sequence, at the end of the whole movie, the only two people left standing that also know the truth that are like plagued by the truth was Dryberg and Lori, as well as Idris Elba and Harley Quinn. Right. So it's like two people had to stand off about what happens with the truth. And then the man, woman, couple, non-couple, or they're like, shit, we know the truth. What are we going to do? Right. And it, yeah, the, I guess, yeah, like I said, again, it's got to be for the greater good, I guess, eventually. like that, They're trying to make the world black and white, but there's way too much gray here. And Flag sees it. So he demands Flag hand over the drive, but explosions erupt above them, signaling somehow an early detonation of the charges they were setting, which weren't supposed to go off until they figured out what all this was. Flag and Peacemaker are at a standstill when the roof suddenly comes down around them. When everything kind of comes to and the dust settles, we see that Starro's containment cell is broken and the monster is free. Starro grabs the thinker, his torturer, the guy who has been the key member of making sure that he cannot leave this facility and rips him apart. Um, which was bananas. Flag and uh, Peacemaker come to, and they see that the drive is in both their reach. They fight for it, but they're evenly matched. And when Flag goes to choke Peacemaker out for good, he is stabbed in the heart and killed for his efforts. It's in such a Mortal Kombat-styled death. Yeah, I think it was to make sure that no one had any questions about it. Oh, I whether think- he really died or not, like, oh my God, wait. But he only stabbed him in this area, so maybe yeah. Rick Flag can come back in the next movie. James Gunn's like, sir, here's the saran, the ceramic toilet bowl seat going into this man's heart. Yeah, they do an x-ray scene where you actually get to see it cutting into his heart. And you see as his heart beats, now with this new gape in it, blood is just pouring into the rest of his body. It's sickening. It's sickening when you, when you because I started to really like Flag in this, I understood that um, we can't even get too attached. But I was really digging Joel Kinnaman in this. Um, and he served his purpose. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have killed him. I just think that this was a moment where the audience kind of was shocked again to see how many people were actually going to go in this film. This whole act of killing Flag is seen by Ratcatcher 2, who takes the drive and runs away. Hell-bent on continuing his mission, Peacemaker tracks down and aims his gun at Ratcatcher 2 before the scene ends and we go back to eight minutes earlier. 
Now, initially, when this happened and it flashed across the screen eight minutes earlier, I got a little bit upset because we had just finished seeing Black Widow where, uh, you know, a scene was played back for us and giving us more information that we didn't know. And I thought that they were going to somehow say that either flag, you know, I don't know, had like a bulletproof vest on or some kind of like they were going to find a way to do it. Do us ex machina, the rat catcher flag peacemaker debacle. You know, I know they had to answer for the explosions because we had no answer for that. But I was worried that they were going to have somewhere down the line in a scene we didn't see uh, Dubois give Ratcatcher a gun. So when we go back to the Ratcatcher scene, she just oh, pulls out the, a gun the Black shoots. Widow of it all. Yeah, yeah. The the good old Black Widow of it all. Right. So I I didn't want any of that, but we didn't get it. This time we see Nanawe finds a huge fish tank with jellyfish X creatures inside that seem to want to play with him. Um, and then we follow Bloodsport, Man, Harley, and Milton as they go to place more charges around Jotunheim, but they're ambushed by the Corto Maltese government. Luckily, Man gets rid of some of the guards, but he takes some time to mourn Milton, who was killed, even though everyone seems to not remember who Milton is, which is just a testament to... One of the, the greatest scenes of that yeah. movie. Yeah, it's a testament to the expendable nature of this team and how often they lose people. Harley Quinn didn't even know there was a Milton around. Um, like you're telling me, I've been on a team this entire time with a guy named Milton. Yeah, and like, she says it. She says it in, a, in the most like um, non-believing way possible. Like, come on, I would have, I would have noticed. And then when they point out who it is, she's like, "Oh, Milton, Milton, <laughs> oh, Milton." And I was just like, "This is, this is hilarious." Uh, but yeah, he seems very concerned. That Milton's dead and no one cares because he's on a suicide mission. So what happens if he dies? You know, so I, I thought that was really touching that he cared about seemingly a nobody on the team because he is seemingly a nobody on his team. As reinforcements arrive, Polka Dot Man shoots more of his dots, but they come into contact with some of the bombs, causing an explosion that detonates all of them. The explosion destroys the fish tank, bringing King Shark to where the others are, and his, jellyf- his jellyfish friends randomly turn on him and try to eat him. So I guess they were trying to like lure him in. And supposedly this is a original creation by James Gunn. I looked into like the DC Wikipedia, the encyclopedia, all the characters of DC. Yeah, don't you got a book of the encyclopedia? Yeah, they don't, they don't exist. This is seemingly, and he named them. I can't remember what they named them. It's on the soundtrack uh, because I have a very beautiful song that plays when Nanawe is around them. But um, yeah, this, they turned on him, which goes to show you that not everybody who's trying to act like your friend is your friend. And even in a more poignant manner, uh, Nanawe gets eaten by people he thinks was his friends, which was something that he tried to do to Ratcatcher early on in the film. So, you know, bittersweet, but you have to learn your lessons, King Shark. As the building comes down around them, Nanawe falls to the ground. He's all right, though. And the rest do their best to jump off the falling part of the building. Oh, they're called the they're called the the Clyrax. The Clyrax. Yeah. Because the C C L Y R E X Clyrax. Because I have the I have the soundtrack by John Murphy. Amazing stuff. But yeah, it's King Shark and the Clyrax. Yeah. Uh. So Dubois falls onto a floor that keeps caving through to the floor underneath. This happens several times until he's eventually on the same floor as Peacemaker, and he sees Peacemaker threatening Ratcatcher. Uh, I thought this would have been a bit of, a bit wonky, but I do like how it was shot. Um, he didn't just jump down 17 stories and land superhero landing style and get underneath it. Um, I really liked how this scene was composed. And now they're both facing off against each other. They both fire at the same time, but Dubois bullet, which is smaller than Peacemaker's bullet, goes straight through and catches Peacemaker in the neck. 
uh, which was a joke early on. Peacemaker had said something along the lines of he's a better marksman than Dubois because his bullets are smaller, which means they get more in the center of the target, <laughs> which sounds silly, but obviously something that Dubois kept in the back of his mind. So he which is also he a great testament to the payoff and foreshadowing that this movie has in its script. Such a great script. I want to cry at such an amazing script where even Peacemaker's like, how? He's like, smaller bullets. Great idea, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's so it's yeah. so funny. It's so funny. Uh and yeah, he, he got him. So now Ratcatcher is like, oh my God, oh my God, you missed the whole thing. He killed Flag, and Flag's trying to use the uh hard drive to give it to the press. So he grabs the hard drive and puts it, you know, he puts it on his person. And he links back up with King Shark and Harley. King Shark's eating a, a head of a military man. They escape the facility just as the massive Starro the Conqueror breaks out and he is huge. He is colossal. This is King Kong level, Kaiju level stuff here. He releases more mini versions of himself that attach to and control the Corto Maltese army. So our heroes block their faces. They should have been wearing a mask. Get your vaccine, pe- vaccine people. And uh, they run as Starro heads for the city. With the military distracted, Sol Soria takes control of the government and she pledges democratic elections. But man, like the horror, this is all horror, right? Like this is all sci-fi horror invasion of the body snatchers, as I said earlier, stuff. This hive mind. Yeah, this is definitely like a thing from outer space type shit. What do you think of Starro's design? I seeing him now in, in the in the fullness of his glory. Oh man, uh, James Gunn is just perfection. Only James Gunn can make people like Starro and Yondu star stealing. No pun intended. Star stealing characters because who would have thought who would have thought that you know the justice league's very first bad guy would 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 look so detrimental on screen and yeah you know one can say yeah but you know loki was avengers first bad guy and the first avengers was really good yeah but that's mcu this is this is right now nine years into the dceu yeah you know a man of steel comes out 10 years next year that's, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah, so this is only 10 years into the DC's studio. By by four years into Marvel's studio, they had the Avengers. Another big thing is that DC has been around longer than Marvel has as comic books-wise, which means that they've written comics during some of the most problematic times in comic book history, which means the, that the they have some of the, the craziest war, characters. The war. They have some of the craziest old-school characters of all time, and they have been quite hesitant in using them. Majority of the villains that we've seen so far have been uh, you know, used in the shows, but movies-wise, it's only ever Lex Luthor and the Joker. You know, most people didn't know who the hell Ares was, let alone Maxwell Lord. And they're finding out now who Starro is. Some people dig it. Some people don't. But Starro is a mainstay in DC Comics. And like I said, again, the first villain that the Justice League fought off against. So it was really cool to see him in here. Um, There's a version of Starro that eventually actually becomes a hero. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any parts of this alien left over. Well, I mean, this version of Starro isn't exactly a villain. No, no, he isn't. We'll get into that in a bit. Waller reminds them that Starro is no longer their problem because Johanheim was destroyed and with it all the proof that the American government has something to do with Starro. But that doesn't sit right with Bloodsport as he sees this Colossus just trudging through the city, blowing up buildings and using the, his little spores to take over innocent citizens. 
He sees the pure mayhem and chooses to go back and help the people. And so does the rest of the team, one by one. Amanda Waller threatens detonation, but is eventually knocked out by her subordinates who believe that she has become too unhinged after threatening Dubois' daughter. The leftover workers help them get to the city to stop Starro from wreaking havoc. Uh, and when they get close to the beast, Bloodsport amasses a huge weapon and fires on the creature to get its attention. Were you surprised that Bloodsport went back for all this? No, because they were, it's, it's that good old payoff. It's that good old writing where, you know, I'm going to make you a leader and, you know, maybe the rat sense is good in you and type like, stuff like that. Where even, even Cleo Casmo says, I knew there was good in you when he turns around. Yeah. So there was a lot of that writing here that like shows you, yes, this is, this is payoff. This is what payoff looks like. This is what foreshadowing looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally believed that he went through this. I totally believed he had that change of heart. And I like how 100%. everyone backed him. I, I truly dig how everyone backed him. Yeah. No one, no one like told him like, you're wrong. No one said, yo bro, we, we should leave. Like, Oh my God. At that point, they didn't care if their necks all got detonated. That's and they true. knew it. They knew in that moment, in that exact moment, they didn't think that they were going to save the day. They didn't think that they were going to stop Starro and defeat evil. They knew that they were going to get their heads blown up. They figured we're going to get our heads blown up. But if we're going to get our heads blown up, the last thing that we are going to do on this earth is attempt to save the day. Yeah. So right then and there, all character progression has been fulfilled. All of the badness, all the- oh, we have one more. We have two more. Sorry, yeah, two more, two more pieces of character, uh, character progression. But you're right. We're we're checking the boxes. Everyone is getting the ending seemingly that they need, you know. Um. So yeah, they 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 walk the leftover workers. Like I said, help them. He gets the creature's attention. He tells Harley to take the high ground and tells King Shark that the monster is Nom Nom, causing the shark to start tearing into his flesh. Very steve rogers-esque in uh avengers 2012 with you know hulk smash yeah tell him hulk smash but they're a team now and he's a military leader so it should be that way uh all we had was like harley throw the bomb and <laughs> shoot it in the last film so i do think diablo they, and all that crap yeah yeah and they killed diablo so <laughs> that was that uh last but not least he motivates polka dot man to see his mother and in a burst of power Pokedot Man is able to use his dots to cripple Starro by obliterating his leg. I was very surprised at what the Pokedot effect was going to be. I didn't know what it was going to be, uh, honestly. And I didn't think it was going to be I thought it was going to be like, like um, mass bubbles. Like, you know, like the, there was going to be some mass to it. I didn't think that it was going to be straight, like transparent, turned into acidicness. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like concussive, like um, like yeah. Scott's Blast. Like where it don't burn a hole through you, but it'll knock you the hell out, you know? Um, yeah, like but- a really hard punch. Yes, but no, these things burn right through things. So it literally tears this whole. I was surprised because Starro had at this point seemed very impenetrable. And no, uh, you know, you can take them down. There's many ways to skin a cat, and there's seemingly many ways to defeat a Starro. So as he yells that he's finally a superhero, Polkadot Man is squashed and killed by one of Starro's remaining legs. And I was surprised because I thought we were at the I point. I can't believe we they done. did that. I thought we were done with the surprise deaths at this point, to be honest. I thought, so, I thought flag was like, just so like the people know, oh yeah, no, he's not going to come back in case I do a second one. Like, but nope, 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 nope. He needed to do a little bit more death. Apparently. Just, yeah. Just a bit. Just, just, just a tad just, bit. There's one more. Well, just one more death that would really tell the audience. Yeah. Don't, don't think anybody is safe. 
But now that he's lost a leg and he can't do his cart, his weird cartwheel walking that he was doing earlier in the film that was gave me the heebie-jeebies, that big eye just rolling around and staying center, regardless of how it moves, is creepy. The big eye on everyone's face is creepy. Him talking through people is absolutely nightmare fuel. Um, it, while it may seem like a ridiculous character on the face of it, I think that he's really found a way to get the creepiness and the horror, you know, front and center with this straight down packed straight down packed but he's pissed he's pissed so he throws nanawe off of him he tries to knock out Ratcatcher, but dubois pushes her out of the way and then he just declares that the city is his he's over it. he's over all of this torture he's over all of this drama he's over all this captivity and now he's set to take over culture maltese but Ratcatcher too corrects him saying that the city actually belongs to the rats Using her wand, millions of rats swarm the area like a literal wave of water, knocking down those who are trapped. We should also say, as I forgot, that Dubois is definitely afraid of rats, which is the whole reason why he said earlier about his father torturing him with them. But oh yeah, yeah, which was a great, which was great because Amanda Waller's like, why didn't you tell us you're afraid of rats? And his his reasoning was, I'm an assassin. I'm not gonna give you my way, my liabilities. Which was very smart. This is true. Why the hell would he? Like, why so, would I tell you my weaknesses? Right. So I thought that was uh, an excellent line. And now, you know, she, he, Ratcatcher was going to get knocked into the stratosphere by Starro. And he pushed her out of the way. And now she seemingly saved his life with all these rats. So they have completed their arc of making sure that they were going to save each other's lives. The rodents cover Starro. There's so many of them. And they start to bite at him while Ratcatcher remembers a sweet moment with her dad. Well, he tells her that he uses rats because even if the most despised of all creatures can have purpose, then we all can. As Starro reels from the agony of being eaten to death, Harley Quinn jumps and stabs him in the eye with the javelin and ends up inside his eyeball swimming into the fluid and also lets all those rats from the outside inside of his eyeball. And they go and chew the alien in from the inside out. Starro, you know, starts to succumb to his wounds, his literal eye starts to fill with blood and his last words are i was happy floating staring at the stars and in such the most heartbreaking that, that thinking about it since the, the movies come out thursday i have since seen it since friday so it is it is a nice tuesday afternoon and that line still just like makes me cold and, and sad on the inside it's like jesus christ my man didn't ask for this. He didn't come to Earth like, I'm going to conquer this planet. All humans are parasites. He didn't come here with, with any sort of, like, you know, hatred. Sure, all of this was just a revenge thing. Like, he's a pissed-off alien that's, like, the size of two skyscrapers being tested on for 30 years by South Americans and Americans alike. Americans. I mean, and to be honest, he wasn't always that size. He got that size because of the experiments in which they were letting him feed on real people. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he didn't ask for any of this. Yeah, he was literally, uh, he was our size. He was about three feet, what it looked like in the video. He was about a good four or five feet in length and about like, you know, two feet in diameter. But then he had ate those astronauts. He got a little bit bigger. And then the, since then, 30 years of feeding him, now he's gotten to the point that he is. But he didn't make himself, is what I'm saying. Just like all these villains didn't. This movie's a big thing about, you know, um, trying to get out and break out of the labels that were given to you. And it's just uh, sad that in his anger, Starro was villainized and then murdered, but he is seemingly gone now. What do you think about the uh, reveal that originally James Gunn was set to kill Ratcatcher in this film? 
because he was hell bent on killing her. But apparently, I don't know how thought, this man wanted to or well, what was in his head to do that. It's like, come on, man, that's a little, it's a little messed up. Now, now we're going a little bit overboard. Like, I, I get who you are as a filmmaker, and I get the the material that you're adapting, but you can't kill the heart and soul of this team. Yeah, I'm so glad this that is she's the heart still of this here, team, which means that she might be able to come back, which is cool. Hell, give me a rat catcher TV show on, on HBO. <laughs> Get put her and what's his name? Frenchie from the boys. I want, I want to see that. Oh man. No, <laughs> just put those two actors and actresses together in like this weird drama romance show about two drug addicts and stuff. Man. <laughs> so the squad's heroics in saving the country are broadcast internationally via the media, which means that the wise daughter gets to see her father be a hero and is proud of him for the first time instead of being ashamed. Using the drive as leverage, Bloodsport forces Water to release him and the surviving teammates, Harley, King Shark, and Ratcatcher 2, in exchange for keeping its contents confidential. And she agrees. So they're airlifted out of Koto Maltese. Uh, the film ends with um, Dubois with Sebastian on his knee. And he very timidly starts to pet the animal, but seems to get used to it after a while showing the end of his arc that he seemed all the things that he was when we started not a leader not a father anyone could be proud of and not a man who likes rats all of that is all washed away because a right around the right people with the right purpose you can truly uh shed your spots you know of and course I think that and that's it's so important. beautiful because that last shot just shows rat catcher leaning resting her head on an always arm smiling to go to sleep and you see uh well what's his name uh Idris Elba petting Sebastian. So, like, you get the Inawe has friends. Ratcatcher is comforted by, by you know, a, a seemingly, even if they didn't have a personal connection, a father figure type. Like, you can look at anybody as a father. You have many father figures in your life if that's the case. But yeah. she has someone to protect her. He has someone to call him a friend. And Idris Elba isn't scared of rats. Like a, a a less capable director would never have given us those two frames as our last shot of the movie. Speaking of which, you want to know something funny? Oh, uh, we're 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 heading down to the winding down portion of this podcast, and full transparency, people, we try to record this podcast once before, and it was lost to the ether. So, um, one of the things I want to say funny before we tie all this up is, Dan, did you realize that in our last review, we did not cover either post credit scene? Oh my god! <laughs> so we let's get into them it. now. So let's get into them now. That episode couldn't have went out anyway. People would have been screaming at us. So uh, first and foremost, <laughs> um, we get a, a, a an end mid, credit, a I mid credit like an scene, end credit scene, yeah, a mid credit scene, which uh, with uh, Weasel. Weasel's not dead. He he spits up a bunch of water and is seemingly loose in Corto Maltese. I don't know what the implications were of that. I actually kind of do. It's uh, well, okay, fine. This is all just me speculating, but I kind of think that they're kind of uh, playing off the chupacabra mystery, huh. like the folklore of the chupacabra. That'd be interesting. That'd be interesting as hell. Uh, they also have another reason to go back to Corto Maltese if they want to. But I think the more juicier credit scene is the end credit scene where uh, some of the workers of Amanda Water, including Steve uh, Agee, Agee, he Agee, is, I think it is, they're brought to a hospital bed where it is shown and revealed that Peacemaker is alive and well and will be recovering, which to is going to save lead us, the fucking world to save the fucking world to lead us to the Peacemaker TV series that we're supposed to be getting on HBO Max, which is supposed to be action packed and not family friendly. So I'm looking forward to that as well. That's going to be absolutely awesome. 
But um, yeah, that's the Suicide Squad. I that is I the really Suicide Squad. I really dig it. Um, I really dig what happened here. But it's time for the equal time portion of the podcast because we got some feedback. Then, you know, we ask the people for feedback on these films so they can tell us what they like and what they don't. It's very important for us to get other opinions expressed on here, so it's not just us on a podium, uh, saying all that we like and what we don't. And I actually have an email here from Jenny from the Bronx. Jenny so, from the block. <laughs> well, from the Bronx, but the block is on the Bronx or the, something like that, right? She says, she goes on to say, this movie overall was entertaining. However, I cannot actually take it seriously. First, I love Margot and I think she's did a fantastic job, but these movies that involve her are a joke to the superhero movie goer. The villain was ridiculous. The amount of bad guys they recruited to begin with was ridiculous. The amount of ways they forced the F word into the dialogue was ridiculous. I am not disappointed. However, that is only because I didn't expect a damn thing. Viola Davis and Idris Alba are amazing and in everything, and they killed their roles here, as did Margot Robbie, who I adore. So Jenny uh, thought that there was a lot to do about nothing in this film. I, you know, as somebody who is well steeped in DC lore, I dug it because to me it was all Easter eggs. But if you don't know who these characters are, I can see you being very detached. Like, what am I watching a movie about the detachable kid for? If yeah, all these people are expendable, it. what am I wasting my time with this for? <laughs> you know, I could I could see that in a sense. Um, and Starro the Conqueror, like I, to tell you the truth, if anyone didn't like this film or didn't like Starro, I blame DC for not getting his name out there as they should have up, up until this point. Because I would argue that a clown with uh, gold fronts and a tattoo on his face is almost as ridiculous as a mind-altering starfish. But we are accustomed to one and not accustomed to the next. DC can get weird. And if you don't believe me, watch Doom Patrol. Those are all Please do. actual is coming out this September. Yeah, those are all actual and factual villains from Doom Patrol that they use. DC can get very, very weird. So um, sorry you didn't dig the film, Jenny, but thank you for writing in. And, you know, I do think word of mouth and rewatches are going to get people to warm up to this film. Yeah, and please more. don't think just because you have negative opinions on stuff that we might particularly love doesn't mean you can't write in because we yeah. accept all the opinions, all the opinions. None of us are going to attack you. No one's going to say, oh, well, you're wrong. I guess you didn't just get it. No, we're going to explain that. Well, you know, for you, we understand why it didn't, why it wasn't particularly your cup of tea. And here's why it's our cup of tea. So don't think a negative comment is not going to be read or going to be met with hostility and extreme prejudice because it won't. This entire podcast was always seemed to be an outlet for fans to talk to fans about this. Um, and I want to uh, express the opinion of the fan. So you heard my opinion. I really like this movie. I didn't love it. You heard Dan's opinion. He loved it. And then Jenny comes in with not being a great fan of it. I think we covered the spectrum of all fans listening well, to that this That was podcast definitely the spectrum. Yeah. In, in some way, shape or form. And that's what we hope to do every week on the Major Issues podcast. Now, the best part about the Major Issues podcast is we come out every single Wednesday, knock on Vibranium. We've not missed a week so far. Uh, and every single episode of the Major Issues podcast is available at comicbookclick.com. That's over 190 hours of content free of charge talking about the latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. If you are able to go to comicbookclick.com, not only do you get every episode of the Major Issues podcast, but you have our full store, our T Public store with designs exclusively made by me. And we even have some Suicide Squad designs that are jumping off the shelf. So go ahead and check that out. That's one way that you can support us monetarily is buying some of our merch that you like, rocking it, um, and we get a cut from that. 
If you would like to support us even more for as little as $3 a month, 10 cents a day, you can join our Patreon by clicking the support comic book click button on comicbookclick.com and joining our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. Like I said, for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to exclusive content. Help us vote on some of the things that we do here. And help us keep our lights on as content creators, because while this stuff is free of charge to you guys, sometimes the uh, back end doesn't come cheap, but we don't mind spending that money. So long as we're putting out the best product, any support is helped. I mean, is, 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 uh, wanted, appreciated. So thank you for, for those who've already been supporting and thank you for those who will support us in the future. We want to hear you guys. We want to hear your opinion. So go ahead and reach out to us on facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, or you can use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also at Major Issue CBC, where we're constantly posting the dankest memes, changes to our podcast schedule, and any DC and Marvel news or any of the bigwig news that we have uh, found over the years, rumors, speculation, casting calls, all that stuff. Follow us on social media, reach out. Um, if you're listening to this on Sunday, I will actually be at MegaCon in Orlando. So if you are attending the MegaCon convention in Orlando, uh, find a way to get in touch with Comic Book Click and we'll see if we can do a meetup, uh, take a picture or something. I would love to meet some of you clickers out there in the wild. But yeah, thank you guys for supporting uh, thus far. I've already been to the future where we become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media, but I can't tell you how we do it because it'll explode the bomb in my neck and there will be no main host for this podcast. And no one wants to see that happen. I've already been pruned twice, so it's not fun. No, it's it's not fun. So keep it a secret, but don't keep us a secret. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Jump on the bandwagon before it ends up becoming full because we are reaching capacity as we are in this rocket towards the moon. But that'll be all for this week. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan, the comic book man. And this has been our The Suicide Squad recap and review. And remember, whether you're a guy who sees your mom everywhere that you go, whether you think that rats have more purpose than they think, whether you're a straight-laced man like Peacemaker or an absolute madman like the weasel, remember that it's worth gambling on love. Remember that we heard the click. And remember that you, yes, you are worthy.